We now rejoin this episode of No Challenges Remaining with Ben Rothenberg and Courtney Nguyen. Remember when 2020, already in progress. So yeah, so this is interesting for me, again, keeping this sort of remember when like personal. And this is where we spend a lot of time. We're, we no longer see a tennis player in the flesh for the rest of the year, either of us. So this is where it becomes this very divergent path, right? That from here yep. on, where like on one hand, like, I'm not leaving home much. And like, we have like a night of looking like May 5th where we watch Korean baseball together and adopt the NC dinos who wind up dinos the in the house, champs, dinos, remarking game about, game. you know, Jeff Passan and his uh, Pinkerton album behind him and stuff like that. So like we're on our <laughs> own journey and, you know, doing our own things and watching a lot of only connect whatever we're doing to keep ourselves, you know, sane and, and afloat. And tennis players, meanwhile, are like having these very different ways of coping. A lot of them just go very silent. Most of them we don't hear from at all, right? Most of them just go off grid. I will say that that's absolutely true. Most of them have just shut off. So the ones we hear from are like the outliers, right? But also largely the more prominent ones. In late April, or even it was late March, even it was already in March, like Sitsipas put up this vlog of himself alone in his Monaco apartment wearing this like yellow raincoat. It's like stream of consciousness thing where he's like losing his mind. Like he like doesn't know how to function. He's also like not with his family. There's some sort of like argument or something. And there are various flares of that we saw earlier in the year, you know, with I mentioned the ATP cup thing and like his mother, like, you know, accosting him at a press conference basically. So anyway, he's on his own journey there. And like some of the first things we see, some of them are like really positive. Like we see like Venus Williams during this year is one of like sort of a low key, like best supporting Mm. actress, like bit role, but like, Remember Ven- remember when Venus Williams got Grigor Dimitrov to flash her? Exactly what I was going to say. What a queen. Venus, like, harasses Grigor into showing his abs, dramatically collapses to the ground in uh, performative ecstasy. And it's just a lovely moment. And Venus is, like, having a really, you know, again, I felt bad about, similar to <laughs> the fire donation topic, like, grading people on how they're handling this thing. But, like, Venus is somebody who, like, really, like, seemed to just be, like, at peace and like really opening up and being way more talkative than she had all year. Like there's one of the things I found and looking, this is skipping ahead, like Lexington. She does like, after she beat Vika first round gives this unbelievably effusive chatty, you know, post-match interview. It's just been so unlike what she's been like for the last several years in terms of what she's like and not being very um, revealing or reticent to share too much, or open up too much. It's been very different Venus. So we have that. And then on the other hand, we have things emerging, like, you know, I have to say this, the Novak Djokovic stuff, where first, like, quietly, he's talking about, you know, or in, on a, in a Serbian channel, he says things that are, if not definition of what we consider anti-vax, at least vaccine skeptical and vaccine chilling, let's say. I don't know exactly what to put it. And then he starts doing these Instagram lives, which, you know, Venus is doing hers with, you know, flirting with Greek or talking to other people in, in and uh, and and if only Djokovic had just flirted with Dimitrov, that's like the harmless thing he could have done. It was right there for him as an option. <laughs> this is the content. This is the content I we needed. Novak, where no, was but it? <laughs> instead, he by early May he was doing his a few Instagrams uh, with Chervin Jafaria, who's this sort of wellness guru guy. And to Djokovic's somewhat credit, I don't know exactly what happened here. They stopped by mid May and did one more after basically I and other people started started calling them out for what ridiculous nonsense was being spewed in them so we just saw like tennis players like untether like what is a tennis player what is a tennis star what is a tennis celebrity 
without the thing that makes them why we care about them, which is their tennis excellence, right? And we're left with these pictures of people who, you know, stop paying their coaches right away was a big theme. Like all these top, top players stop paying their That was a really big that was a really big that thing. That really for you. was. I know that I've, you've mentioned it a few times and it really explain. Well, like cause you 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 learned about it and yeah, no, I I just would like sure. to hear so, more of no, this. No, I mean I, I was really struck by how within days, within like before the week of Indy Wells about how fast stuff moved in March that players immediately like cut off the payments to their coaches who they are the sole, you know, employers of and they're not, but all, not all almost players. all like we're not, every coach was estimating it was more than 90% of coaches weren't getting paid at this point. It was, it was, okay, that's fine. But I'm all. just saying when you say that not it's all, not all but, like you but, can't, but, but hugely most them, but... coaches were not getting paid and it just, it just the sort of like selfishness of tennis players and, we see tennis players as being very self-focused and very driven and motivated. And in this pandemic, in this time of crisis, a lot of times that reveal that turned into self-centeredness, or self-focus turned to self-centeredness, turned to selfishness, turned to lack of care for other people, right? And to me, I saw this sort of across the board cutting off of the of the payroll departments of their own personal tennis teams to their coaches, who are people who like invest their whole careers in helping you do well. But the second you stop getting, you miss one check, they get cut off. And a lot of these players, you know, have been making lots of money and didn't have to basically. Anyway, it just it just rubbed me the wrong way, seeing these these athletes. And granted, they're not in a, on a fixed salary; they were not getting guaranteed income. But for the, them to immediately start cutting other people's pay very quickly, and even like occasionally federation, like Tennis Australia started furloughing employees very fast, and that bothered me a lot too because they had a full twenty twenty Australian Open and they had a full coffers, and they, I think, it was by I don't know. April or so that they were already furloughing employees. I thought that was crazy. And they're going to be paying full prize money in if they go so, forward in Feb and whatever. Well, yeah, just so a lot of the math didn't work out. It's just a lot of like a lot of I was getting very disenchanted with tennis and tennis players or tennis players really because there was no tennis, but tennis players were not impressing me overall with their conduct. Yes, you had Venus doing things, you know, flirting with Grigor or whatever, which is gets tens across the board, but the other stuff was just like really unimpressive and really uninspiring and it was a mixed bag and it's, it's hard to paint with these broad brushes because like some of the most flagrant examples which come up here in this next few months of tennis as we remember when all this happened is stuff like adria tour right which comes up with djokovic Djok uh, that was in june that started so it's pretty fast actually looking back i mean that really was relatively soon in this whole thing and you know grigor dimitrov tested positive on june 21st after in this on the second during the second weekend of adria tour and then a week later, and that looked really bad, obviously, with the partying videos and stuff like that. And it looked even worse, I think, by exponentially when Zverev, the next week is weekend or five, five days later, six days later, whatever it was, is out partying after saying he was going to quarantine. He tested negative, but after saying he was going to quarantine and take care of himself and doing all the stuff we were saying about how like our goal is not to hurt other people, Zverev is back out partying or whatever. And I, it, a tennis lost a lot of like goodwill over this time. I remember I, I saw reviewing my Twitter, I put out a poll on July 7th said, have you been impressed with the contact conduct of ATP players at large, you know, as a group during this uh, time during the stoppage? It was yes, 11%, no, 80. And oh WTA asked the same question for WTA. That was completely flipped. Yes, 70, no, 12. And more people didn't have any opinion because WTA had been much quieter about stuff but like 
it was it was a very disenchanting time for me as a person with tennis and there's no tennis and it's you know those are sort of breaks or rifts or whatever or, or whatever you want to call them in my relationship to tennis or my feeling of tennis that have not totally healed since then i still they haven't done they haven't done much repair a lot of that yeah some parts of it obviously when tennis comes back later on we'll get to that but like this period for me for tennis was was rough and like i said it's not monolithic there are still things that I, again, in terms of being a judgmental person, judged more favorably happened in this time, like Naomi Osaka going to Minneapolis as part of the protests or Coco Golf addressing that uh, rally in, in Delray Beach. These are all things happening contemporaneously, roughly, to these other things. But just the sport, I thought, looked really, really bad. Or, or, or like the, the, the citizens of the sport looked really bad. It did not seem like tennis is making good people as a population, which is a very broad brush. But I don't know. You know I... That's how I felt. It's a very, I, I will say that. I think that that's a very broad b- brush. I think that that's a little bit unfair. Not the emotions as directed to the very specific offenders of which we know what that li- who is on that list. They were up pretty, I mean, well, they could p- pretend they were apologetic about it, no. but they weren't. And what was so frustrating about seeing, you know, the Adria tour, seeing players in instances break protocol or just, you know, act as though nothing's really going on and being, you know, kind of vocal about it at times is that that wasn't the majority of the tour. The majority, the vast majority of the professional tour, which I will consider, you know, top 100, top 150, were being responsible. Betty agrees. And, you know, Betty's like, hey, let's not you know, let's not throw Ash Barty under the bus here for what uh, that was, Sasha Zverev or Novak Djokovic so yeah, is right. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's a big, big Mertens, Mertens fan. Mertens, Mertens, Love Mertens, Love she loves it. <laughs> but, you know, like Kiki Burton's is sitting at home doing right. puzzles. You know, Belinda Bencic is pulling out of events because she doesn't want to come okay. close to to doing that. You know, Bencic has some problematic things later she's pointing out, but you're right overall. But what, <laughs> what I think is going on here is... That that's all right. But then I have another thing here. What really stood out during this time after this Vera video was Kyrios stepping up and being this like very lone voice of speaking out and calling people out. Right. And no one else is doing this. Well, and this is where this is where this I sort is, of broad brush it. My... Like the culture of silence in tennis of not no accountability was everyone was kind of guilty in that. Well, and one of my the things that I had on my remember when list was Hey, Ben, remember when Boris Becker got mad at Nick Kyrgios for breaking tennis's omerta and how dare he criticize another tennis player for literally anything? called him a rat, I think, didn't he? That was that. Yeah, it was very weird. An attempt to an an attempt at the end of The Departed that failed miserably. (laughs) But yeah, like and that was stunning to me. It was truly stunning to me because it's one Again, the thing that I will say is this. It never surprises me that it will never surprise me that athletes are just human beings. Let's just make this super, super broad because this actually is not just about tennis players. This is a broader thing. It doesn't surprise me that people think what they think or have the opinions that they have. Unpopular, popular, whatever. I know how the human mind works, like whatever. You're going to think what you're going to think. What stuns me is when they say it out loud. Mm. That is, I'm always like, wow, dude, like, it. okay, you have that idea. Cool. Like, that's you. You do you. But I cannot believe that you articulated it out loud and now sit here stunned 
that people disagree or are shouting you down or like whatever. And that was the thing about the Becker thing that was surprising I'm... to me. It's not a surprise. I know that the players feel this way, like especially on one side of the ledger, like, you know, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. What happens in the hotel lobby stays in the hotel lobby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I get yeah. it. Not I get it, but I know that that idea exists. You don't rat each other out because if one of us rats, then, oh, shit, we all, I mean, a lot of dirty laundry is going to be aired out yeah. there, right? So I understand that. What I don't understand is then, but is like saying it, like, you don't talk about Omerta. The, the, the... <laughs> like, that's the point of the Omerta. You literally don't talk about that exists. You don't say it. I mean, <laughs> that was wild Again, it doesn't surprise me because there's been flashes of it before, as we know. And there were obviously more that started coming up this year. But like the one earlier example I'll put which I think was 20, was it the year he made the run in 2018 at French Open? When I, when like Todd Woodbridge got mad at me for writing about Marco Cecchinato's uh, match fixing past uh, allegations and, and sanctions that got overturned on technicalities. And he was like, this is bad for the sport, you know, talking about these negative things or whatever. It's like, I'm a journalist. Like this is not, I'm not here to sell the sport and to like hard sell everything and tell you everything's amazing. Whatever DEFCON level five was happening on, like I said, the ATP cup, you know, world feed that was so jarring to hear like everything is amazing all the time. And like, I, that's not, and you know, this <laughs> is coming more recently in interviews of players in terms of like, that's not my role to be like a hype man for the sport and to only tend to be selling. I am not. And this comes up again, as the tension grows between how I see the pandemic and tennis's role in it and other, and how players want to make money from it too, too. Like John Isner, or, or Feliciano Lopez during the Atlanta exhibition. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I'm getting frustrated that Atlanta is a city that was really spiking in July and they're holding, they're inviting crowds and having tickets sold to an exhibition, even if it is distance or mostly masked or whatever. And Tiafo test positive immediately upon getting there or quickly upon getting there, if not immediately. This idea that they both imply that I work for the sport and, you know, and Riley Opelka, who I alluded to recently, who said this in a Racket Magazine interview recently with Gary Nathan, a quote that was pretty clearly about me, uh, about about being like down on some like shitty Zverev match at the U.S. Open or something about being, you know, this fifth set is so bad, saying like he said something like these, you know, these guys essentially put food on your table, like the players covers like they do not like I do not work for tennis. I'm a rare per Granted, I understand that I'm a bit of a unicorn tennis because I don't take checks from anything really related to the right. to the promotion of the sport which is and so maybe they don't understand that or quantify that and so this, i'm not here to tell you everything is great and to like sell the sport is it better for me as a as a worker when tennis is more popular sure like yes i get more stories and more interest great but i i like to think and this is maybe self-sabotage on some level but i don't really actively I certainly am not ever trying to be a used car salesman. I'm not trying to be inauthentic. I'm not trying to sell. That's for I'm sure. not trying to say anything I don't believe, right? So if I'm out there saying, yeah. man, Chasey Way is awesome, it's because I really think that. It's because I really think that like yeah. she is that way. I'm not going to look at some, this of Chorich match we can get to later at the US Open, which is unwatchably awful, and be like, wow, this is like really worth your time. And aren't these guys warriors when I just think this is bad and stupid? And I've seen enough tennis to and know better tennis. And so I'm not going to tell you everything is great, even if it is like world class. Well, or whatever. because your own integrity is more important to you than your paycheck. Mm -hmm. that, and that's not a common thing in especially niche sports where, as you kind of not even sure it's and a again, smart thing, I, but yeah, it's, well, it's I mean, what it is. But you know, disclaimer, I work for a tour. Mm -hmm. I work for a federation. My tennis does pay me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, like, I mean, like, thank you, Uncle Steve and Auntie Amy. 
But um, (laughs) for putting up with my nonsense and the things that I say that nearly get me fired all the time. But, you know, as different as you and I are (laughs) on many different levels, I think that it is a thing that does kind of um, connect us in a lot of ways is that is that I'm not going to take the paycheck in order to, you know, and then just say whatever. This is why a lot of times, especially in a year like this, where there's been a lot of discussion about what tennis is doing right, what tennis is doing wrong. What the hell is ATP doing? What is the WTA doing? I am not part of those discussions. Why? Because if I'm part of those discussions, I want to be able to speak my mind. I want to say what I think. And if I think that I'm going to be compromised in any way, and obviously if I say, because if I say what I think, I might get fired. Or if I say what I don't think, I will not be able to look at myself. Then no, I'm not going to be like, you know, a mouthpiece. And I appreciate Betty's support throughout this entire, (laughs) it's been difficult, but she's always really been there for me. Thank you. Up top, girl. Up top. Um, but <laughs> but but in that way, it's so important to kind of understand that 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 in the ideal world, reporters are not in that position, no. and that it's so frustrating for me on the sidelines to see those sort of exchanges happen with you. Not because I'm your friend. I don't care. You know, I let you dangle. I don't care. I'm yeah. not jumping in there like protecting you. You're a grown ass man. Like you handle your own fights. But what frustrates me from an ideological and philosophical level is that what makes tennis look bad is not Ben reporting on a shitty thing that happened. It's the shitty thing that happened that makes tennis look bad. So if you mad, be mad at the people who did that. So be mad at Marco Cecchinato. Be mad at the play, you know, be mad at TIU. Be mad at whatever. But don't be mad at the messenger. This is a, because the thing happened. This is a theme in in the sort of second article which I'm working on about Zverev stuff, and obviously Zverev is another which we don't, I don't think I don't expect to talk about Zverev stuff too much on this episode, but because again the last sort of chapter of the season usually leave off these episodes, but it's this whole sort of idea of like do you want to be a real sport or not, right? Like yeah. do you want to be like this little club that's like very insular of like boys telling each other they're great and like hanging out and traveling the world and being jet set and being like small. Or do you want to have like rules and actually be taken seriously as a sport and, you know, be on a level with the rest of, the, you know, the things you want to you want to compare yourself to NBA compensation models or whatever. And then like act like a damn NBA or like show that like NBA players get dragged by reporters all the time if they're like playing have a bad game or whatever. And, and fans actually care and they get booed and stuff. And in tennis, there's just like never any consequences, never any accountability. And it's just like that there's sort of this all this wine to have your cake and eat it too stuff. And so, again not every player, but like certain players um, and certain attitudes towards this during the time. And obviously they were mixed and lots of players were skeptical of things that were going on towards. Some players were critical, including Riley Pelka to mention him again. I don't think I'm not trying to single him out as being a purely bad offender in this. I don't think he at large is at all. I think generally he has a pretty good take on a lot of stuff. I mostly find myself nodding along when I read his interviews with Gary. There've been a few of them, a couple of them this year and on the racket site but you know there's a certain amount of yeah of just of just not of this bubble right it's an interesting use of the word bubble in 2020 right yeah. because yeah, yeah, tennis yeah. players were obviously when it comes to us open and let's less percent french were in bubbles where they had to be secured whatever and with different degrees of success of porousness of those bubbles but also this was a chance for a lot of them to like have, have the carousel grind to a halt right uh the tour stops and you can look and and get off and be in the real world for a while. And for some of them that did really change things. I'm very curious to see like when she comes back, like what Ash Barty's, you know, attitude is towards stuff, right? Cause she will have had almost a full year off the tour. 
John Millman, I know, has talked about this like recently, and Curios, I'm sure, will be similar. Like, and Millman played the U.S. in Paris, so he's not as good an example. But like, or maybe he's a good example too. But like, talking about how like Australia's journey is very different. Players need to understand, like, for yes. for January and February, whenever the U.S. Australian Open might happen, like we've been through a different thing, and like understand this context and stuff. And play, tennis courts are just so bad at context by how the tour is designed. You go from airport to hotel to court back to hotel, and you don't have a chance. You're, you're well traveled, but very unworldly. This is the thing: is that at a time when 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 tennis needed to be in a bubble the problem is that it is in a bubble yeah you know it's it's that when you i mean as somebody who travels on the tour as part of the tour which is different than kind of like for example how you travel on the tour ben right because you travel on the tour but you're not part of the tour you don't stay at the official hotels you don't get official transport from the from the hotels to the to the airport and vice versa you don't get fed by the events by right. the tournaments like you know i do i effectively and it is very different because if you close your eyes you do not know the difference between being in rome versus charleston yeah Versus Indian Wells versus, you know, I guess in Asia, maybe there's a little bit more of an Asian um, blockage in terms of language. But otherwise, like, you really don't because there's a certain standard that is expected of these players. The tours, both the ATP and the WTA and the slams deliver it and they are in a bubble. Everything is taken care of, care of for yeah. you and credit to them for earning that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, this is all part of kind of like PTPA and like player unions and what players can negotiate for themselves. In a lot of ways, they have negotiated these things for themselves because they are so valuable. So they are treated like kings and queens at these events. But then now when you strip that away and you, you leave them to their own devices for, for four to five months and you ask them to act personally responsible, to act in a way that is, you know, a good representation for everybody else to encourage safety to encourage health all of these sorts of things and again i have to reiterate a vast majority of the players did they were silent but they did right like they weren't out there like you know um but they they were ta they were staying home they were masking they were abiding by lawful protocol and it's just this lawful this um this rogue group of 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 players which is a shorter list yeah that made a lot of stink yeah. and made things look bad. You're right. And, I, and, and like I said before, I think like I spread that blame around to this, you know, capital T tennis as a whole because of just the lack of anyone beyond Nick Kyrgios really being critical, right? This is a, a sport that has, does an incredibly bad job of accountability, of policing itself, of keeping its own house clean, right? And so until it grows out of that, then especially when they're high profile players, it wasn't like it was, you know, Dan Evans or someone else being a sort of lower rank ne'er do well. This was Djokovic. This was Zverev. These were like big stars in men's tennis. And obviously, like I said, those poll results, people understood it was the men doing this. So it is a men's tennis issue and people parse it that way. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how that all works. And interesting to see how Kyrgios handles the next year if, if other people join him. And then I don't think people will join him. But if he if he keeps being this sort of voice, Murray has been increasingly sort of outspoken, I think, a little bit as he sees, honestly, I think as he sees himself being less competitive, I think he sees himself being a little bit more open and less competitive, meaning less like contending for the top spot, not that he still doesn't want to win. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, you... interesting to see how this all settles and if, if things come out of it, because right now, 
certainly like if you look at like again this well not again but like this fast forward to this very stuff the end of the year there was not much outcry or whatever i got a couple i got several private messages from players who saw things were like whoa this is bad from including atp guys but not from not not they didn't say it publicly. not public no. no 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 exactly i mean and and to be and that's why i think you know yes i understand kind of like the frustration of again when nick Kyrios is the only one with a microphone shouting people down and asking people to to be better um be best but um <laughs> but you know you're you're in a weird spot but i i do think that i just have to say um because i i was definitely somebody who in in the moment during those times was coming down really hard i think on the collective quote unquote players yeah like oh you guys have failed us oh like you're letting us down oh you're you're making us look bad like all you know i definitely felt all of those things from you know june july you know all of that with time and a little bit more kind of like less emotional <laughs> evaluation of the situation i definitely am kind of like look a lot of the i mean and again i'm on the wta side so like i mainly have talked to wta players right. when i say mainly i only talk to wta <laughs> players <laughs> so i don't know what's going on on yeah. the other side off off record you know but in the conversations that i have with the with the wtas from the top down again like from you know world number one's twos, threes, fours, fives, all the way down to 50, 60, 70, 80, 150. Those conversations, those girls are staying home. They're doing what is being asked of them. They're understanding what the stakes are and they're acting accordingly. So I don't want like the boys, if if, to the extent that a certain segment of the tennis community is acting irresponsibly, I do not want the segment of the tennis community that is acting responsibly to be dragged along with them. But I also know that that will happen. That was just, you know, again, because that's is, how it happens. Again, this is, and remember one episode, so that's sort of like, that's what my experience, and people listen to the show no, back no, then sure. knew. Yeah, yeah. That was my experience. Yeah, yeah. And there are obviously oh, exceptions, yeah. like Nadal, I think actually was a notably yeah, he was good, really good. good citizen on this stuff uh, throughout. Yep. And he's been good about Australia, looking forward to. Um, a different topic. Remember, obviously, this happened, I guess, at the end of 2019, but it got more official. There was more of an interview of her talking about it for the first time in july i flagged of july uh 27th this year of sam stoser coming out more yes. openly which yes. was like more openly i mean she came out i know but she so she had like i know alluded yes. to her partner okay, yes. in an instagram <laughs> post it was like very like again this is sort of like if you're not doing like a big you know notes app statement a la you know elliot page or whatever then you have it's sort of a little you know trickier to point to like to the extent these things matter and i think they still do to a lot of people like the sure. when did this happen Agreed. when did this become official and so she made like an allusion to her or mention of her partner um in in a, in a caption i think late last year and then did an yeah, interview after the at the nukes like, yeah yeah after she got an award yeah, yeah. um yeah. there and and then she did a more in-depth interview more directly talking about it it's still in like not the most direct terms and it's still sort of typical stocery kind of like keeping something as close to the close to the vest way but it was just nice to see obviously we've known sammy for a long time it's just seeing her getting being feeling more comfortable being her sort of open authentic self when i say that was 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 cool to see there's a lot yeah. of like there's a lot of like I mean, group chat like hoorays and, and yes virtual toasts to sammy stos no, I think and I think that it meant a lot to a lot of people. I think that Sammy, you know, if you know Sam, if you've been around the tour, um, it's not like what she said was like, what? No. I mean, literally so. no one. <laughs> and even if you weren't on tour, I mean, like if you were a fan, you knew yeah, if you're yeah, a fan who yeah. cared about Sam Sosa, you knew. Right. But it's her it's her life. It's her news and whatever. And what, what I think that 
because she's a little bit older. Yeah. Right. Like she's Sam Stozer is not a millennial. Uh, well, I guess technically she's a millennial, but right. But she's like, like she's 35 not like a now. Yeah, yeah, probably something about that. Yeah. But she's not like a Zoomer. She's not like young. And, no. you know, this was I remember this discourse happening around like the happiest season, the Hulu film. Uh, which I know you've seen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've seen it as well many times. But many um, times. about Ooh. how, no, I, I mean it's Case Two. I just I love Case Two. I'm gonna watch Case Two and anything. And Mary we'll Hall. Save this wonderful. for Rant Rave. Save the happiest chapter <laughs> for Rant Rave. I can. I can oh my goodness. I, have I know. I know you. I know your thoughts. I know your thoughts. Um, but um, but uh, there, I think that there's a generational divide as to how older people inter see Happiest Season and how younger people see it. Because for younger people, they come to it, and and for those who don't know, Happiest Season is a romantic, um, a holiday movie that is on Hulu, starring Kristen Stewart. Uh, basically about like Kristen Stewart's girlfriend. Uh, she comes home with her girlfriend, um, and finds out that her girlfriend has not come out to her parents, yeah. and so it's a whole situation. But anyways, it's a very different generationally how people react to that. I think that if you're older and you do kind of understand. The situation of her girlfriend. Yeah. You know, you are far more, I think, a bit understanding of Harper's situation. Oh, yeah. But if you're younger, and the younger generation is like, who cares if anybody's freaking gay? Like, it's like so different. It's very, you know, people are not in the closet for as long a time. They haven't grown up in the stigma of what like Gen X and the boomers grew up in, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're kind of like, what? This is so stupid. Like, she should break up with her. That's a violated offense. Like, da 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 da. Violated and, like, the older offense. Genera- what does that even mean? Not violated, but like a violative offense. Like, that's that you did not come out to your parents. Oh, and then, sure, like, sure, you sure. Oh, legal, home, legal terms she, getting thrown at me. Okay, okay. Sorry that that, <laughs> that she that Kristen Stewart has a right to break up with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go fu- and go fuck Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. That's one take. But I mean, you know, like for a lot of the for a lot of older people, it's different. So I think that with Sammy. Like she may not use the right the language that people want her to use and all the the code words that you know people want, but yeah, for her to come out and be comfortable with herself and and I will say I don't think that Sam has ever not lived her her like an inauthentic life. I think that she, like I said, like everybody knew, like you know, no one judged. Like it was fine, and she was just kind of doing her thing. It's just that now she's like obviously like addressing it more directly, um, and and saying you know, but uh, no. yeah, no, oh that God. was really cool. I, I forgot about it. I have so many happy season thoughts <laughs> to share later. I feel like that. I feel like that's a spinoff because that's just gonna be you and me yelling at each other because you can do it on Patreon. The speed w- with the speed that I was typing out my responses to you. Look, and me like we'll just side and then and then side texting Steph and be like this motherfucker. <laughs> actually said she actually said like so my best friend steph who is gay like she wanted to watch like happy season i was like i'll absolutely watch this movie with you yeah. so we did like watch party on hulu and literally as the film is be- starting she's like oh we should invite ben i was like we're not inviting ben <laughs> and she's like <laughs> and she's like why and i was like because ben's gonna have some takes on this movie i'm sure of it and it's not okay you're not gonna want to hear let me them. let me clarify you're not gonna let me, let me clarify my take let's we'll do it now all right this happy season talk all right <laughs> My hey, my my issue my season? issue is not really with Harper in the movie. I I don't have an issue with Harper not being out to her family. I think it was shitty. Spoilers, sorry for this movie. I think it was shitty that she that she didn't tell Kristen Stewart about the situation until they were in the car on the way there. Um, it was shitty. That was shitty. No and I think that the movie as a movie didn't do a, a could have used more scenes 
uh, explain their relationship or like their appeal or I think it was a little imbalanced like they kind of make the move to this new scenario before we've had a lot of time to maybe I know you said you saw leaning or whatever because you're a case to you know Zapruderist but it was they're, cute but they're okay 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 that sold me. okay that right sold- so from this point on I don't really have issues with Harper like with Harper like I'm a similar age to these characters in this movie I'm closer I think on a lot of these things in your generation than Zoomers Agreed. certainly on these issues I certainly yeah, this not yeah, not yeah, being yeah. a thing was not a thing in my generation. Like it was very much a thing when people were coming out or or not coming sure. out or whatever else. So I'm I'm not on that that demographic. My issues with the movie were much more about the straight characters in the movie being redonkulous, like the, fam- specific, the specifically being too the, much. The, the the Allison Brie character Alison Brie. being yeah. batshit insane and everyone acting batshit insane towards her in this way that just seemed preposterous. Right, that was the character that to me like threw off the whole balance of the movie. The actual lesbianism, I thought was fantastic. I had no problem. <laughs> I had no problem with any of that. And so I hope that you conveyed that to Steph. That my issues were with with Allison Brie and like no, and like just... and Harper and everyone was awful with Allison Brie, including her children were ridiculous characters in the movie. And like they were like out of The Shining. Yeah, and like the conversation between Harper and Allison Brie and like in the kitchen was just like so nasty and like just like. Everything, everything bad was just like the thing she said about her law degree. It was like, what the hell is happening here? Anyway. I felt as though they maybe thought that that played funnier. It played psychopathic. Than it did. It it played psychopathic a hundred percent. And on this, I will absolutely agree with That's you. That's my that, issue like, with the movie. Like I said, love the gays. The gays okay. can do what they want. Fair enough. But like, I think that like when you initially texted me about this, it was very much about like I was sort of I was Harper. I, I, yes, you I, were working through your thoughts. So I was what really, you're articulating now is not what you articulated initially. That's fair. That's fair. So, but, but, but I did get there by the end of that conversation. I'm pretty sure, like my main. But issue I just was didn't want I I didn't want you to join. No, I, protect- I, look, Steph, Steph. Steph knows this, but like I'm very not that she's listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm very protective of Steph. Of course, and love I Steph, did. By the I way. just and I and I love you as well as you know Ben, and I love having film cin- cinema conversations with you. But in this situation, I just didn't want to run the risk that you would yuck Steph's yum. Look, like she was gonna love this movie. Look, and I just didn't want you to be like well there's a script problem like that's for you and me to discuss <laughs> that's not for you and Steph to discuss you want to talk about it with me absolutely we'll break it down <laughs> it was I not a good and I would have been different talking to Steph about it but was I not a good watch partner for you for Crazy Rich Asians in Mason you were great right you were great you were yeah. great so I knew, understood what that movie meant to you yes and I was were. nearly weeping in the parking lot, right? Like recounting how important this was, and you and Reem were like, "This is weird," <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, but we yes, like, but we like, we did not yuck your yum. Hopefully, no, no, yeah. you didn't. Yeah, you good. didn't at all. Good, and I appreciated that. And I just, I just needed to create this hermetically sealed, Look. you know, space for her to feel like big fan of stuff. She watched. I know, but I just, I just needed to protect her in that moment. That's all. That's all. That's all. Sarah Ronis and Veronica Stay have played the first <laughs> match in Palermo. <laughs> and it was fantastic. Epic match. Oh, my oh God. My gosh. Our love for Sarah during Palermo was out of she control. Was av- you specifically. It was really. You specifically. It was really like coming in from the desert, dying of thirst. And she slaked our every need in terms of thirst, in terms of just quenching We've been without tennis and watching Irani first. It was like it was actually a really great match. This Irani Kirsten yeah, match. It was but like really it was good. also Irani being very Irani, um, and like at peak of her powers. Not quite, not literally, because she was a top five player, but you know, just really showing everything and just like really cool 
unexpected sort of match that was great and that sort of helped get back into tennis when I was still feeling reticent about that was a little bit like oh I still like this I still can get excited by this when it's informed I know and there had been other tennis obviously age tour controversially but like the UTS the Maritoglu benefit going on for several weeks the Charleston exhibition had happened other things that happened this was the first sort of like sanctioned tennis that was back yeah. in Palermo well I mean it was tour yeah exactly tour events that came back sanctioned I official mean- <laughs> events that came back um, people seem to forget in recent weeks that the WTA came back weeks before the ATP did in the summer. The ATP is not getting. It's, can I? Yeah. Can I just? Can yeah. I just Let say it go. my piece? That was that was can a lob. Go it? ahead, take it down. <laughs> can I just do it? Yeah. I'm sick and tired of people complaining about how few events the WTA had after the French Open, or like why is the ATP still going after like the WTA finished after whatever uh, Linz, et cetera, et cetera. I'm very, very tired of this because we started two weeks earlier. For two weeks, when Palermo and Prague were being played um, and Lexington, there were no ATP events. And that's fine. That's totally fine that there were no ATP events. But I do not recall during that time when we had those events, anybody going to Twitter or whatever, and being like, what is up with the ATP? Like, why are they no events? Like, blah, blah. Everybody's like, okay, whatever. They're going to come back and sit there. Right. So, like, I'm a little tired of it. I'm honestly, like, I just think it's a very disingenuous, like, argument to make. It's, like, a, big, I just, it's a big I, recency it bias. Me. Big recency bias. The A lot of the guys were plucked, as they say, that the women had come pressed. I don't know. It's a, it's a phrase. <laughs> I'm in culture. Press, I get it plucked. I didn't know plucked. 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 Yes. Plucked. I didn't know that you were you were real you were real active on chicken Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Chicken Twitter. Exactly what it is. <laughs> we're real. We're real pressed and plucked and uh, bedraggled that the women had come back weeks before the men. The men were like, "Where's our terms? Why? Why are I? You know, these are too many consonants." But you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> they. And so a lot of them did, were upset about that. And also, like, if there's times to do more tournaments, it's when you're outdoors, not cramming into spiking indoor uh european cities like the the late stage atp was anyway and, yeah. and also i will also add that planning for events during the summer like as you said in terms of outdoor and like whatever but being able to start earlier play outdoor events far more reliable of a thing to do than to plan for indoor events later in the season where as we know government regulation has been kicking in even more yeah i mean you know, it's been impacting more and more moments where like even the French Open, we were like, oh, my God, are we going to get shut down? Like mid mid event. Right. Like with, oh, with during qualities, there was a real shot, like things were tightening yeah. and like they kept reducing the number of fans they would allow on site, like drastically reducing that in that upcoming yeah. week before it. Yeah. And WTA has a as WTA Asia, a schedule that is hugely yeah. built around being playing the late stages, you know, Wuhan, Beijing, and the Tour Champs in Shenzhen. It's massive. And yeah. lots of other smaller tournaments, your Guangzhou's, your whatever else is in there as well. Yeah. Um, Hong Kong. Yeah, that other one, yeah. uh, Zhengzhou. Zhengzhou, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's, uh, but I mean, all uh, of those. Like lots. Like, so, and right? you also have, so, and you have right, Tokyo, so, so, so you once have Osaka. The, so once the Chinese have, government yeah. steps up and says, or steps in and says, we're not hosting any sporting events the rest of 2020, WTA has lost all its footing there and like they made their bed somewhere and, in advance. And I don't, I don't blame WTA for that at all. Like who can foresee no, yeah. that? And also I will say for, for, for as much of the, for the people who are criticizing and saying, well, that's what you get for putting all your eggs in the China basket. I was like, yeah, I mean, if you want to get crass about it, count up all the money that also has been cashed the last decade. Yeah. 
because we can't we we banked like go back to last year's Shenzhen. Go back and and look at Ash Barty's prize money check. Like yes, we did bank, and even with this season being wiped out in China, I think we're okay. Go okay. go back to Novak like, Djokovic's <laughs> reaction the day that WTA announced its Shenzhen deal and its prize money. It was during Australian Open, and I he this, yeah. was. Uh, basically, he was impressed. Let's say, or, or like, and like jealous. I think it's fair to say, or seething that, like, not seething, maybe too strong word, but like saying, like, look, like we should be considering these other markets, other options that have, like, they're going and right. getting it, the best for their players. I mean, and the effective yeah. argument is, if the WTA can get that money, yeah, what the hell are we doing? Yeah, that's what his tone essentially. That was, that was effectively what it was. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I understand that argument, yeah. but yeah, which they did. They moved to Torino or whatever, and they will their prize total prize money pool will be what five thousand dollars more than the WTA prize <laughs> money pool. It was like WTA was fourteen, yeah. and the men went fourteen five. <laughs> Very prices right bidding strategy there. All right, so tours come back. Lexington is the first event stateside, and obviously you're more covering things. So you did Palermo stuff. I got to meet Fiona Farrow. It was lovely. And Simona won Prague. Yeah, Simona won Prague. Lexington. Uh, starts it's just like very different looking tournaments there's a new tournament right because it was the washington week washington didn't happen san jose also didn't happen washington was oh, we had three episodes during the year with mark i and it was close washington it was washington close. was close on, yeah. but they ditched the women earlier and then we're gonna maybe do the men potentially and that was a late call anyway the lexington event was was really like a sort of different very organic feeling week right because especially, obviously, the famous match we'll remember from that was the second round between Serena and Venus. And, like, seeing them on this court, this, like, unusual camera angle, it was kind of like, I forget what it was, it was, like, lower, just different than you usually see. This, like, club court was not a stadium whatsoever where there's traffic going by. You can watch the cars and the trucks going both directions <laughs> on this road behind them. And this way that was, like, weirdly distracting, uh, sort of while you're watching the match. And it was just, like, it felt like the purest match between the two of them. It was a great match, also. This match it was, great was match. really yeah. good quality. And that just like set up what I think was a really, really high quality like month of women's tennis on the U.S. hard courts. Yeah. Like from from the jump, like there you go into Cincinnati where people are still playing pretty well. Serena, notably, one of the remember ones I have is Serena, like sort of tanking against Sakari or Sakari. Remember, oh, remember, in, remember in, in, like in, in that Cincy, third round yeah. match where like she blew a lead in the second set and like was in the third set and like. Clearly wanted to take or did, was like checked out, but also couldn't bring herself to actually like do it. So she was like slapping all these winners like down like match points repeatedly, and like it was a it was a it was a weird match for sure. Um, it, no. The tennis the tennis was the tennis was better than I expected for, for yeah, both no, on both that, tours when it came back. That's a hundred. That's a hundred percent. Like one of my biggest takeaways from especially the U.S. summer and the and the restart was I wasn't I was expecting so much more rust. I was expecting. You know, and we saw bits and pieces of it. I mean, Simona won Prague, but like for like the first two matches that she played, she was pretty dire at times. She had to come back from like a set and at least a break or two down to win both of those matches. And but she played herself into form. But like particularly Lexington, which I think was probably like the best showcase of women's tennis before the U.S. Open, even more so than I think Cincinnati uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I'd have to think about it a little bit more. But but I just felt like Lexington every single day there was something really really interesting happening, and you had Coco Goff, you know, beat Jabor, come back to beat Jabor. She um she beat Sabalenka yeah. that week as well, and she and so you felt like wow okay like maybe you know and there was the whole storyline of like Coco, kind of you know being ready for all picking up where she left like, off. You know, yeah. 
exactly. And so there was a lot of excitement with that. You were you were just I, I my distinctive memory. Well, two distinct memories of that Serena Venus match in my remember when's one was the way that their walk ons were filmed. Like, I think Serena was still so there was this long kind of not corridor because it was um, it's outdoors. Yeah, path. And it was like, you know, the chain link fences that have the green tarp on both sides, which is a very club court, high school court sort of thing. And it was just Serena casually talking to maybe Patrick or or somebody. And like Venus just like walks by with her backpack, you know, with her, her racket bag. And it was just so and they just walked on court. And it was so casual and cool. It felt like you were seeing something so special. It felt like intimate, that match. It felt so intimate, so intimate. And the the, the, the level was so great. Um, and then the the backhand that, that Serena hit to break in the third set, which was like one of those those shots that she's probably hit a bunch of times and the crowd roars. And the only sound that you hear is like her like roaring, but it was the same intensity. Yeah. You know, and it, it just was like, I think, really a really beautiful display of Serena. That was one of the like, things we, we here, weren't sure about with the tennis came back is like, would they be in shape also? And would they be right. like emotionally and engaged? And would they care? Right. Would they care? And it was not a hundred percent. Like there were certain players who admitted like they had a tough time getting up for like, they didn't like bubble life. They didn't like playing in front of nobody. Like they didn't, they didn't respond to it. And that's, but that's fair enough. But that was like really the minority of people. It was a small handful of players who really fit in that category. Who were like good players who became non-factors during this. It was pretty much, which is one of the arguments in terms of ranking system, especially for the men who had much fuller attendance. Like, should these results really be asterisks at all for like last for like the World Tour Finals when like everybody was there, everybody played well, and like it was kind of fine in its own way as an on-court product. The match quality actually was really good in London uh, for this last yeah. event. But yeah, but for, for, for yeah, sorry, I'll just say like I was someone who was very skeptical, very loudly skeptical about all of this, and was especially skeptical about like. I feel a little vindicated on the best of five front. Like, why are they having the men come back and play best of five in their second event in this long? But really, they had been working hard with the funny exception of Medvedev, who was saying, like, <laughs> amusing, was like admitting, like, sort of, he didn't say this as directly as I'm going to say, but he was sort of like, guys, like, I thought we were like working, working that hard during quarantine. What happened here? Why is everyone like in great shape? What is this? <laughs> like, and yeah, so, uh, and it. he still made semis, so. Anyway. Yeah, no, I I think that, yeah, just the quality was really impressive. And I thought that because throughout, um, you know, starting in Palermo all the way through, I think, U.S. Open. And then th- it, c- it continued in, in Roland Garros as well because it was different r- journalists. So people just ask. It's the same question, but it's not the same people asking the same question all the time. Mm-hmm. But just kind of like, oh, you know, what was it like out there playing without crowds? There's a part of me that that kind of turned about midway through. And I was one of those people who was asking that question. But there was a part of me that kind of flipped in the middle of the U.S. Open of like, why are we asking this? Like, these are professional tennis players who have come up through it. And we know the tennis system. Yeah, They are not playing. They did not grow up playing on packed courts. Even if it was a long time ago. Right. Like Serena, it once upon a time in her career was in a quality straw. Right. Yep. Once upon a time yep. in her career was playing you know she played like you know 12 and unders or whatever she was playing small events it, it all these players some of them more recently than others like i think people talk about with like coco golf like coco golf like you were recently playing tournaments that looked a lot like this lexington event did this make it easier for you uh, maybe you never know like what i think there didn't seem to be too much to that overall and it was such a striking visual and it was so visibly different um and or audibly different it's but more than the more than the visual because like a lot of times like when you're watching like points at like the u.s open 
right? You kind of forget. It was only the, the crowd shots where there wasn't the crowd going wild, where it wasn't the shots of people in the stands doing things. And you kept seeing, noticing like more, and again, it made it more intimate in its own way. You saw more close-ups on the players and on their, maybe on their coach or whoever was in the stands of them, not just like sort of panning shots. So they really wanted to keep it tight and focused on the thing and not draw too much attention to the, the emptiness. With the exception of, US Open had a bunch of big banners. They liked folk, they had new banners every day. Right. Their banner budget was wild. Um, no, yeah, no, and they used it well. I, I think mean, they those did. banners. I think I think I was impressed by the USTA. I thought I, the USTA I thought actually... USTA did a really good job this year. And yeah, and I yeah. and I will say like I haven't been skeptical, and I think they were sort of slow on some things in terms of, like player conduct. They clean this up like after this Vera video. Um, you know when they. Uh, I asked Stacey Allister in their preterm press, What's like Vera video. This Vera video of like of, of the clubbing in Monaco. I'm just mean. Because, like, oh, they okay. announced their tournament before that happened, right? And before Adria Tour, even. And um, they were, like, I asked a question about, like, player conduct. Like, well, you have a player conduct policy. Like, if people are breaking rules. And they and Stacey this answer, like, these are all pros. We trust them to, you know, do the best. And they're, they're, we have no worries at all. There was and, there was a bit of scoffing uh, at that response yeah. in our group chat. Oh, yeah. And then it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't and, then they, and then they cleaned it up. That They made it clear there would be more consequences. Yeah, and. Did. There was some wild shit that happened during US Open with that. They, they didn't all do perfect. Like there was the whole Manorino saga that they remember the Manorino Matt kept getting pushed back and like Andrew Sasha Cuomo had shirtless to, ha- sunning himself on the on the conspicuously on the player. Andrew balcony. Cuomo had to weigh in on whether Manorino is eligible. Um, skipped over it chronologically. Should mention there's no segue to this, but the Cincinnati pause from Naomi Osaka um, and that whole sort of this goes to the USA banners a little bit because were, these were related sometimes. But that was a, a, a wow. No, moment. I mean the way that the way that I would phrase it is, "Hey Ben, hey Ben, yeah, hey Courtney, how are you? Good, cool. Remember when Naomi Osaka with a tweet shut down an ATP Masters 1000 for a day? I do remember that. That was like that was crazy. Her that's cr- it's crazy to even articulate that as a sentence. No, but seriously, that was like her. This is again going to her, her sort of as player of the year type conversation, or like person of tenth person of the year, and more of the Time Magazine context of like what she was able to do and how she was able to grow and to direct the sport and shape the sport uh, outside herself. We have not seen players take the reins in that kind of way since a Billie Jean King. We really haven't. Uh, well, to be Venus. that no, but to be that hands on and to like be that directly Venus publicly outspoken. Venus before a final went in and like read a open letter to the Wimbledon people. Venus went, yeah, addressed the meeting right, and that was more of a backroom meeting though. That was her in her role as player council. But person. she also wrote the, but it was also published in the London Times. I don't know. I f- I feel like Venus. Okay, I I, I, I see your example. I just think that the way that that, but Venus did that with the support of the WTA, right? Venus was there like on the behalf of Larry Scott to get like in the in the weeds about this. Naomi kind of did it completely maybe in a rogue sort of way, in a way that was not with anyone's blessing. She was like, this is what feels right. This is what I'm going to do. And the tours, both tours, even the one that's not hers, bent to her will, which was remarkable to the considerable dismay of uh, peers in both locker rooms that like that she was able to be so disruptive days before the Grand Slam began. And so I think that was super, super remarkable from her there. The other, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah go ahead, please. If it was not Cincinnati slash New York, and that had happened in the Internazionale BNL d'Italia or the Mutua Madrid Open, same week, no. same whatever, does the tournament stop? No, definitely not. 
I mean, it was, it was an American move. I mean, because the NBA was shutting down earlier. That was the backdrop of what Naomi was doing. I believe uh, some baseball games also had stopped. NHL also stopped for days, as it turned out, there. No, this, this was them listening to the American market. I think that if it had been... I think Naomi could have still pulled out. If it had been... If she'd been in the Rome semis... Yeah, yeah, no. I think she would have... She, she, she would have done the same thing. I don't yeah. think the tours would have... I don't think the... Correct. The both tours or the tournament would have stopped the way it did for that, no. Um, one Remember When... This is, more, I think, sort of classically remember when. Remember during that day, the night of like everyone being like, whoa, Naomi's doing this thing, da 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 da. The Bryan Brothers retirement got announced and got like completely buried by this Osaka news. I I, I don't remember that happening. Yeah. That, I mean, I know they retired, they did, but they I didn't did, know that that happened. There was an article day. by Chris Clary that came out like that <clears throat> evening. It was clearly pre scheduled for that evening. And because they were not going to play the U.S. Open, which was the next week. And that was sort of their way of revealing it. And they previously been planning on retiring at the U.S. Open. And it just that it was just kind of sucked because, like, you know, they did not get they the deserve, sort of they deserve more than that. They yeah, didn't get the ceremony of, they deserved. They didn't ha- get the inches of column. No. Well, they like, did get the you know literal I mean? column like, from this one thing, but it didn't well, get they like did. yes, it didn't but, get the attention. They didn't have their moment in this way that I think was frustrating. They, I mean, hopefully, I'm sure like if there's a regular U.S. Open in 2021, they'll bring them back and have an on-court ceremony and stuff like that. They'll do right by them. But like, it was a weird anticlimax to their amazing careers, and they were like oh, very yeah. much um, on this. Um, they saved ATP doubles. They just saved doubles. They kept it relevant I mean, as much as it is the board. for for a yeah. while. Yeah. yeah, the U.S. Open give ceremony had no draw ceremony at all. Just uploaded the draws on the website. It was fantastic. Loved it. One more thing, because we didn't mention this earlier in the show, chronologically. Speaking of Brian's retiring. Because you've not talked about this in the show, Courtney. Remember when Maria Sharapova retired? I know. I've, I talked about this a lot on Twitch the last couple of days. Okay. Because <laughs> when I've been on Twitch, like, you know, obviously people who follow me on Twitter, tennis people, so they hop into the chat. It's a good time. I highly recommend it. Not because I want to... Like I'm do I'm fiddling with Twitch in order to learn Twitch mm-hmm. to understand it as a technology, but it's been really fun yeah. just to like talk to people and stuff. Anyways, so people have been bringing it up a lot, and I'm just like I I cannot believe that happened. I remember being in Doha and just kind of like waking up and seeing the news. I mean, a little bit in advance of it being announced, but yes, I Ben, do you know who was the last player to beat Maria Sharapova? Donna Vekic. Wise, nice. Yeah. Nice one. Australian yeah. up the first round. I didn't know. I, di- I didn't remember. I didn't yeah. remember that it was Vekic. Yeah. Yeah. Brady um, and Brisbane and then Vekic and, and Melbourne. Tough draw. for not a, not a horrible match. Not a bad match. It was like three and four, three and three, something like that. And am I crazy? Was it that one or was it Wimbledon that like there was this stress of like making sure that we went to the press conference because it, she might announce? It was, I think it was Wimbledon when she, or maybe, well, I think it was more Wimbledon where she lost to. Um, oh, okay. Diachenko, I believe. Ah. And just like. Oh, with the arm and. Yeah. yeah it and was just like. A like three I, mean, or, I remember being yeah. on sort of like a little bit like trying to watch, but the way she did it was so like Sharapovian because she did this like simultaneous published articles in both Vanity Fair and Vogue. Like unnecessary. Pick one of the magazine of Prestige Maria and move on. Don't even get both. <laughs> it's crazy. No, but it's uh yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think that happened this year. But it's one of those um, things that because feel like, like it happened this year. It was not like it was different even in, it was less abrupt even than like Roddick. Um because it was like a sudden retirement announcement during US Open. That was more shocking because to the extent it was shocking. But like 
Maria had not been a factor on tour for a while as a competitive yep. factor. And honestly, in some ways, it was a little surprising she hadn't pulled the plug earlier. And so when it came, it was a little, and her ranking had fallen, I think, outside top 400 or something. Like, it was a little bit merciful, I think, that she did it when she did it. And God knows it aged well in terms of the pandemic, now that she saw that coming. But, like, what a time to leave. Same with Roger, who had his surgeries. And it's still in not great shape, apparently, according to his statements that we record this on Sunday. Like, that both of them kind of got off. And what was Nick, if you want to throw her in there, too, got out before uh, before things got messy with the pandemic and the tours yeah, yeah, overlapping. Sure. So. No, and she seems like she's living a really good retirement life. So Maria, you know, yeah, she, yeah, Maria, Maria seems like she's doing all right. The other thing that I was going to say, remember when wise Ben? Yes, Courtney. Remember when Victoria Azarenka was like winless for twelve months and then suddenly was not? Yeah, that was a thing because she had she got blown off the court by Venus in Lexington. Venus played great, and Vika was like, we were like, oh, this is not good, Vika. And yeah, and then she comes out and wins Cincinnati, wins some tough matches, like against Jabur, I think was a tough match. Jabur was a tough one, Conta, semifinal, yep, yep. Yeah, and then gets the walkover in the final from Osaka, and then yeah, and then really takes care of business in the US Open, including a win that looks really good in retrospect against Sviantec. Some it's up, a great match. Some, yeah, yeah. Some, that was a really good match on Armstrong. Some other... Mukova too. Yeah. That 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 Azarenka Muhova match was really really good until Carolina got got um, got injured in the right. third. But that was a really good one. Sviantek straight sets, but like Vika was super effusive about her afterwards in press. And then Serena. Those women's semifinals like were so good. That was like a, that was it, so good. It was a, that was a transcendent like time castle day of tennis in women's tennis history because it was first of all it was like the day they were doing the original nine like celebrations. It's sort of the women's yeah. day. There's like no men's matches that day. So it's women's had the day themselves. And, like, we thought the matches would be good because, like, Brady, Osaka were in the first semifinal. And then Serena, as ranker, in the second one, they're both – they're all four playing really well coming in. And they all just, like, delivered. And it was so pure and high caliber and just, like – with the pure is the way – is the sort of term for, like, crowdless we used. But, like, it was just, like, really, really, really good. And yeah. really just, like, really exciting moment for – in this, like, time, it was hard to get excited about tennis. That was the best day of tennis uh post pandemic like that was at that was it at the start of the semifinals did you think the final would be osaka azarenka osaka yes i am less although brady was playing great brady was a reasonable enough pick if you want to pick brady that was not a gimme match at all but i would have picked osaka i don't remember what i was thinking for serena azarenka yeah. i remember being surprised okay. when katarina won the first set 6-1 in that match mm-hmm. I remember being like, this she is not good. what I expected, but and then it was kind of flipped in the final where Azarenka went up 6-1-2-0 mm-hmm. in that final. It was yeah. unplayable in that final, making like 91% of first serves, just like really just like killing it. Just like Naomi couldn't do anything until she finally turned it around. But those were such, such good matches, really. And, and Naomi, like I've said this before on the show about Naomi, but like Naomi inviting all the attention and pressure that she did. And this is, again, where I draw Billie Jean King kind of conversation. I mean, Venus did her own, yeah, not to make it a competition between the two of them, but like inviting the pressure and the attention with the masks and drawing a spotlight to herself and then like rising to that occasion. Because like, I've said it before, but the only way she wouldn't have gotten crap for like letting her tennis distract her was to literally win the US Open. And so she did that. Yeah. Like it's hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and so super, super remarkable. Um, yeah. It was a really, no, maybe- it was a really, really cool tournament for, for women's tennis and a big one for her. Like you said, you said, mentioned the BBC show, which I also talked to them for and other things that are going on with Naomi being on this, you know, stuff like she's really making 
a name for herself outside of tennis and breaking through in this way that no one has done in a long time. So, and that, yeah, and that matters. It's so it's it's and it's so prescient, you know, because again, if we rewind to the first 20 minutes of this podcast which was days ago um that uh you know um she lost to sarah cerebus tormo like she got bageled by she won three games against sst representing japan in fed cup first week of february she goes into the pandemic things shift for her perspective is gained she goes to minneapolis and and marches with she is reading critical race theory um, on her own she instead of kind of being there's it comes this turn in the in the in the um during the shutdown that is pretty notable where it goes from her kind of being a bit again kind of mirroring our own kind of like oh there was this innocent time and then shit got real it was the same with her you know she started that pandemic you know interviewing Sitsipas and interviewing Monfils and interviewing Schwiantek yeah. and I will always remember the, the interview that she did with Shvantec and where she uh, where she asks Iga, what do you want to be remembered for when you're done with tennis or what do you want to do after tennis? And Iga gives an answer. Um, and I think it's something about like enjoying life, like having a balanced life, you know. And then she's like, what about you? And Naomi says, I want to be known as not a tennis player. And Iga kind of looks at her and she's like, that's going to be really hard. <laughs> and like and, Naomi, and Naomi's like, I know. <laughs> like, and they kind of laugh about it. But that's really does seem to be the mission statement like that. But the tennis is a means to an end, yeah. not the end. Yeah. The tennis is the reason why she has a platform. She uses it. But again, like just going back to your point about how many times you and I talk about this all the time about laughing about players at every level doing everything they possibly can to minimize the pressure and expectation going into a match or going into a tournament. Yeah. Right. Like it's a joke. It's an absolute, I mean, the the athlete cliches that come out of tennis player mouths of like, I mean, you know, oh, I don't have anything to prove. Oh, I'm just go out and play my best and that's enough. Oh, you know, I'm not actually the 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 favorite. Right. I'm the underdog. All of these sorts of things, you know. And this kid shows up and says, I got seven masks. I'm going to try and wear all seven masks and just, you know, win a slam. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I've said this to everybody that's asked me about it. Like, I just think it's such, despite all of the accolades that she's already received, I still think that it is underappreciated the feat that she pulled off over those two weeks in New York. Yeah. It's nuts. The men in New York were I don't know him. less less resplendent, I think, is, a, is, is an opening adjective. And you can feel free to counter that with whatever other crossword words you've picked up recently. It started. Alley. It started off with. <laughs> started off. I learned that one today. Which one? A L E E. Oh, uh, don't get me started on that. That's that's <laughs> that's Ali, which is like means like not towards the wind, like in leeward, like in the thing I lost in Final Jeopardy on. It's a whole. Oh my gosh! It's, I it's, had no it's idea a whole that I really. You just hit, so thank you so much for that. <laughs> Um, leewardness and me have a have a have a dodgy relationship. Anyway, speaking of fun Fair. words. You men's USF introduced us to the concept, as you know, a and that is unclear where that's going right now. I'm not saying it's simply like it's dead. I don't know that it's dead. It's just it's just quiet. They did a it was a weird launch with not a lot of like press release or substance or anything actually defining it as an organization the way you normally expect. The men had highlights, obviously, when Andy Murray asked the moderator referring to Ava Wallace if 
can we let her finish her question, please? Just absolute king behavior. Oh, By the way, that whole like that it was Ava too. That like that's what made it even better. Like because Ava's a queen, yeah, and Ava deserves to be heard at all times. Yep. We love Ava Wallace. Mm-hmm. We get excited when Ava Wallace had her on the show this year. Yeah, yes, that's right. We we get excited when Ava Wallace is allowed to write about tennis. Yep. Uh, by the Washington Post, and for Andy, Sir Andy Murray, to defend her, not even defend her, just to like, because Ava don't need defending. Just stick but up like for to her. like yeah. step, yeah, just to step in and be like, yo, what the, ugh, what a dude. The whole, by the way, the whole U.S. Open press room video conference situation was a whole thing. Also, I've I've blocked out a lot of this, like logistics of this. Year. That's what I'm saying. This is like the blurrier part of the year that I don't want to get back it into. Just, that's but that's, like, I mean, because a lot of it's just inside baseball, like, yeah. Stuff that annoys journalists, sort of thing. Yeah, but man, that. that was that the U.S. Open situation was triggering. I did not enjoy. And it. then yeah, and then like these like matches that went on, particularly can be said Zverev matches that went on the U.S. Open, of very dubious quality, um, including the final. And then, and also obviously, what was the best match of the men's the men's event? I think a popular answer to that would be Sitsipas Chorich. Which oh, which is has had like the five yeah, one lead but... and and blew it, um in the fourth and lost in five. Well, no, actually, Borna trip play. Yeah, it yeah, was dramatic. Maybe, it maybe. it brought the drama for sure. The Medvedev team was okay. It kept looking like Medvedev was going to win a set. I think he lost in straights. I'm pretty sure he lost in straights. He like should have won the second and probably should have won the third. So the match had a chance, and it was not a bad match. The other semifinal, you'd have no memory of this Medvedev team semifinal. That's okay. I see your eyes searching, searching, but. You know, it was what it was. Remember when the semifinals of the Grand Slam happened? The new who? Okay, the trivia for you. So I said Medvedev team was one semifinal. Who did Zverev play in the other semifinal? Oh, um, yes, the guy that you get yelled at about. Yeah, RBA. No, not RBA. <laughs> oh, a PCB. PCB. <laughs> yeah. How sad. Oh, but okay. Kit of the year, men's division. His orange? PCB, orange Joma shirt. Looks good. White shorts. That was a good look, dude. I genuinely went on the Joma website to like look it up to buy. Oh, wow. But then I thought about it. I was like, why would I ever wear that? Well, no, but I was just like, yeah, like that's the thing. I was like, why would I, when would I ever wear that? I would never go to sleep in that, which is the only time I wear like men's, well, that's not, that's not true. I mean, I wear men's t-shirts like in life, but I would never wear an orange Joma t-shirt in life. Hmm. I would only wear it to sleep. And I was like, why would I wear this? I would not. And then I closed the window. Wow. But I looked it up. Anyone listening who still has a Christmas shopping to do for you, just Joma shirt. <laughs> there you go. No. Yeah. So those were some things. The debate over the discourse of the men's final was some of my favorite discourse of the year. Like, is this good? No. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> is that, I mean, that's the extent of the discourse, right? If only it had been that feel- Yes. But the funny thing about this, about the men's final at the U.S. Open, I feel like the discourse surrounding that final, to the extent that there was actually a discourse, which means that there were people who are of influence who were criticizing or acknowledging that that final was not good, which was a lot of people. Yeah. That the only reason that happened is because it was a final that didn't involve the big three. That if Ooh. one of the big three was involved, like no one would criticize okay. because okay. Uh, this I'm, is my this is my theory. Uh, that's, uh, that's bold. Uh, that's, reject it. That's. I can't reject it. I can't reject that out of hand. I will say I don't think that the Australian Open men's final was especially good this year. And that involved Djokovic. And it didn't get 100%. the same amount of abuse. So maybe you're right there. This is my point. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah. 
because and i don't know if the reason why is because because of like you know earned respect and earned love or if it's because oh i mean but the 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 ao final did novak play well i didn't watch it genuinely i think i was in the hotel or i was shopping or at a bar usually that's what i'm doing during the ao final <laughs> um, but i don't think i was watching it until the very end i was in the and stadium you guys came over i just remember my main memory of the ao final which we didn't talk about much on here my main memory of the ao final was that i just never thought team was gonna win right and so, like, even if he had, like, good scoreboard position, I just remember th- having no belief in him winning this match, which kind of, like, colored my perception of it. I was so I was so result-focused while watching it. I don't remember yeah, the yeah. quality as much. <sighs> yeah. I, I It was not great. I remember it was not being great. But lots of finals can be, like, not, like, amazing quality. Like, you famously always talk about the 2019 Wimbledon final, which everyone says, like, all-time classic. It's, like, not being actually that amazing quality. The Djokovic-Federer. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, other assorted. Oh, we didn't talk about the default, the Djokovic default. Speaking of big U.S. Open events, that was obviously the big. Do you remember how you heard about that? Because I wasn't watching that match live. I, I don't think I can't imagine you were either. No, I wasn't. I definitely learned about it on Twitter. Yeah. Like I was clearly sitting where I'm sitting now mm-hmm. in my office. I was sitting right here too when I learned. Yeah. Either and probably watching something else or just working on something else or maybe in a. I think Fitova Rogers I... was happening at that time. Oh shit! Good match. Yes. Then I was. Oh my god! What a match that was. I mean. Hats off to Shelby. Remember when and, like, Shelby absolutely. 2020? Shelby had a great 2020. Shelby had its great 2020 for 100%. But like, so I, total oh, one of those, oh, like, I, so happy for Shelby and then like so heartbroken for Petra. Remember when Shelby Rogers won the first set 6 0 oh in God. the first round against Muguruza at the Australian Open? Yeah. Yeah. That aged well. Very well involved. That aged well. And then Shelby Rogers beat Serena Williams in Lexington. Mm-hmm. Great match. Yeah. Really, really good match. And then beat Kvitova, um, obviously, at, uh, at at the U.S. Open. Crazy match. Kvitova had three match points. Rogers stepped up and saved each one of them. Maybe there was one return I think Kvitova had a look at. No. But, um, yeah, so that would have been – I w- yeah. So it was one of those where I'm, like, working on something else, and then, like, Twitter blows up of, like, everybody kind of gasping. I remember that. Like, everybody kind of be like, oh, my God, I rem- is Novak going to be defaulted? Like, And I was like, what? I remember getting an IM or a group chat from the New York Times an college. IM. IM. <laughs> <laughs> oh whatsapp people still say i am it's totally cool <laughs> getting a, a whatsapp in our group chat from the times reporter was on site being like whoa joe fitch just hit a, a lion's woman with the ball maybe he get disqualified and i thought because these things can happen right like you can like hit like a ball and hit someone across the court and like hit them in the leg and they just kind of like brush it off whatever i did not sure. realize until i saw the replays obviously the severity of yes. this contact and i also that never was precisely right at, once i until i saw how she went down i didn't and how she now i'm not saying she was exaggerating at all but like it hit her in the throat she like got the wind knocked out of her whatever you want to say then i was like oh boy and the other thing i remember about that day is as much as it seems so black and white like you strike and potentially injure or harm an official or stagger an official let's say you get defaulted it's actually not a written rule there's actually no rule that cleanly says that and so i'm writing the story about it like we were like, is it? I thought it was physical abuse. Was the rule that I thought made sense? It was like harm, like touching an official causing harm. When we wrote our story for the Times, and I take blame for this or whatever. I'm still not sure it was wrong per se, but like it was maybe not what they would have at the U.S. Open. They sent they'd make a decision on these things. Like U.S. physical abuse seems to fit, but then they cited ball abuse as the thing. But ball abuse is not something you can ever get DQ'd for. There's no like way to escalate ball abuse to being felonious ball abuse, whatever you would want to call it, or you know default ball abuse 
anyway, it was just confusing. It's one of those things like this happens, this comes up a lot in terms of like election stuff now, but like, you might want to put that like in clearer writing that rule for the future of tennis. Like don't, but, don't, but, don't, don't physically harm an official. But there's also, but there's also this, which I mentioned on my Twitch stream, which I mean, is becoming the thing that everyone the plugs, should The number into. of plugs for this Twitch stream. We get it. You have a Twitch. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I've been on You've it. tuned it's in. Great. You've it's seen great. it. It's you know, great. it's great. It's great. Yeah. Ben and I play video games together. It's mm-hmm. great on the Twitch. But um, I had mentioned this before, which is that in that situation, one of the things that I remember thinking was it is a gosh darn shame that there is like that press cannot be on site in this instance. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's like the French Open or whatever, and it's just, you know, it's cruise control, nothing controversial really happens. You're just really just covering the event clean. You know, going to press conferences, writing about matches, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe the impact is felt less. But in that moment where something actually went down and you can't just get out of your desk and go to Chris Widmeyer's office and knock on the door yeah, exactly. and be like, guys, what is going on? Or linger outside the or referee's walk- office even. Exactly. Yeah. Go outside the referee's office or walk up and down the hallway and try and find somebody, anybody, go to Stacey Allister's office, like yeah. whatever. And you have no one, zero, nobody or comms. You can literally you know, block Estelle from leaving the... Uh, or go find go find Marion Vida or like all the sorts of stuff you could do in that situation. And so you are handcuffed. And the and what can happen is that therefore the, the, the institutions are shielded. Yeah. This is the whole point. This is why, you know, journalists are paid that much money to be on site by their by their outlets, not necessarily because it's valuable every time. Right. But because when it's valuable, it's valuable. I remember learning that lesson early on with watching Liz Clark, who was the Washington Post reporter, cover mm, the yeah. the like Mason City Open. And like she would never leave until like the last ball was done on whatever court. Even if it was an unimportant match, whatever. Yep. She was always there till the end. And that's something I took to heart. It's always been an ethos of mine. Helene. Helene's that way. Right. Because you never know when something insane is going to happen when like – when like you know the the handshake that Putin Seva punches somebody in the face and you have to write about it, or Marion Bartoli decides to pull the ripcord in Mason. Yes, literally the first time ever Ben and I ever left sight before the end of play. Yeah, literally. Yeah, was the day that we were sitting. We left to go eat dinner at Carabas, and we are sitting at Carabas and getting all of a sudden on Twitter or text messages or whatever. Marion Bartoli retired, or no, we found out at the hotel. Found out at the, at the Marriott. Yeah. With yeah, all French players, with Gasquet with and all the French players, and Bouchard, and everybody. And else. like, yeah. it was one of those kind of like, never again. Yeah. Never again, because you just never know. And so, yeah, so that is all to say, yeah, it, it, and that's something that I worry about with, t- with tennis going forward, like the restriction of access. Yeah. Obviously, we've seen this a lot in Melbourne with the, with TA, even before any of this pandemic stuff, really restricting the number of areas that journalists were allowed to go to they couldn't go to a lot of player congregating areas and even corridors where people just sort of linger and you can but talk ben, to people but ben you can just see it on all the hidden cameras well yeah exactly all those areas basically were used to be born so we could get to his media and now we can't and they do stream them live to invade privacy but not actually give any information which is just wonderful um which makes honestly which makes like the travel not worth it at this point like part of the reason it was so easy to decide not to go to australia in particular is i know there's no value to being on site that, that when they have media conferences with people, like, I'm going to get everything I need from... Unless you're a reporter who's really just going there to really get poetic and, you know, write, you know, a thousand words about what the sunset was like that day. 
as it matched up with the Vavrinko backhand. Like, oh, if that's your beat, like, fair enough. Live your live your truth, Emily Dickinson. Go for it. But most of us are not working that kind of way. And to the access getting hurt. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the Djokovic moment was a big example of that. I think it would have been really, really different had it, you know, or even if you think back to like, you know, the Serena Osaka final at the U.S. Open, if if we were not on site. Yeah. You know, like maybe the I mean, that press conference would have been even weirder. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, and yeah, so that's where. It's an interesting thought experiment. Like, what if that match happened in an empty stadium? Oh, Jesus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. Honest. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's I that's a don't. Weird, right. Yeah, I feel like I just dropped acid. You're making like, you're I'm making like, you're making kombucha girl faces. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. Like, oh no no no. Well, what? Well, <laughs> no. I just I feel like the colors are all inverted. Yeah. I don't I don't know what that would have looked like or how that would have panned out. That is a wild, wild idea. But this goes to the, remember when we talked about the beginning of the first half of the show, which was about you know how different the feeling was of not being there on site and how much less indelible or i guess delible i've never used that word as it inverted but how how like less deep these memories we created are of these of these things were you know had it been in the stadium for the Djokovic thing or even on the grounds would have been a much more visceral thing i would remembered running around finding vida finding you know boosters freina boosters coach or whoever else i could maybe cling on to or somebody else who could do it or I don't know, maybe find like uh, Jeff Tarango and talk about other defaults, just like people you'd run into, right? Like reporting things you like, because when you're in a situation yeah. like the Osaka Serena match, right? You start, or even like Vinci Serena, I remember this specifically. You look around like the lounge or the garden or whatever, and you start seeing mm-hmm. everybody in there. Like, what is your possible angle? I remember I talked after that, I don't think it got used, but I actually really like this little interview I did. It was like four minutes long. I talked to Emilie Lois, about Ooh. that match, because Mili Lois, if you remember, and some of the terms certainly will, almost beat Serena in the first round of the 03 Australian Open when Serena was going for Serena Slam number one. And she plays a very similar, like, junky, slicey game. And I was talking to Mili Lois about, like, how that kind of game is especially tough for, like, players when they're under pressure. And how, like, Vinci and her, like, did similar things yeah. to, like, disrupt Serena and get her off her when she was untouchable, right? And how that kind yeah, of thing yeah. can do that. And so, like, that's the kind of thing. Like, we would never do that sitting from home. I don't know Amelia Lowe. I've never met her before. Yeah. But, like, yep. that's the sort of thing you can do in your onset. That's the value of being an onset reporter. And that's just what yep. a lot of this year was was missing. Why, like, my notes for this episode start getting very thin. Like, I don't have much for the French Open. I felt well, pretty and, disengaged and, from the French Open. And it, and it goes back to, I mean, obviously, I think that for you, the U.S. Open felt more, tr- more urgent more trenchant because it's also in your time zone it's a little bit easier to and the new york times really cared about the u.s open yes of course yeah Yeah, and we didn't have and it was the first slam and there were a lot of different there were way more storylines about the u.s open than by the time we got to the french open um but i do think that yes there is absolutely something that i i hadn't really i guess i guess realized until you mentioned it before the call about how I just, yeah, I have experienced all these events from a small international like Palermo or Prague to Grand Slam wins by Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Open and Iga Swiatek at the at Roland Garros in exactly the same spot that you see me at now yeah. with a different background. Yeah. I'm currently having an on-fire background. Yeah. Same chair, same desk, same keyboard, same... No, it's a, it's a, it's a really 2020 at. thing. Like all these sorts of things yeah. I've done... I've been in this creaky desk chair, which you can sometimes hear creaking on the podcast. 
like yeah. from you know watching tv to doing various trivia zooms to watching palermo to watching nhl playoff games to watching what you know unbelievable whatever it was that i was watching this year at various points to watching uh varda by agnes as i try to work my way through the 25 oh, david ehrlich films you. i know um, good for you this was, i was actually i'll save it for rent rave if you need me to yeah it is a sort of flatness it is right like it's like it's a time-lapse video of my year would be going to australia da, 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 and then like me in this in this room in this chair at my desk like still Whittling and the down, screen moves yeah. but i don't this is going to all sound incredibly weird and off-putting maybe to tennis fans because obviously as tennis fans this is how tennis fans enjoy the sport right yeah. from your living room on your couch on the tv right. but the but the difference is fans have like a system of how they enjoy that so you become that's what you're used to right so you have your chat group that you text with like right of like serena fans or murray fans or roger fans or you know your second screen it you have your twitter up you're kind of doing that but you're also texting your friends you know there's a way in which you are used to enjoying the sport and i feel like for uh, it was diff- it was hard this year because this is not how no. we enjoy the sport. This is not even enjoy. This is not how we watch the sport not, because this is not since we started in this. Jo- and I was thinking exactly. of that like cause I we both were bloggers once upon a time, right? Yeah. And so we both did used to do the slams from home thing. And part of me was getting a little bit into that mode of being like, I remember how to do this mm-hmm. back in 2011 and earlier when I was, you know, watching from home and watching the various feeds of stuff. But also, it's just tough to go back to. And also, you do feel like, because not that, like, obviously, my job as a tennis player is especially important in the grand scheme of anything. But I do feel like the responsibility of holding that job is to sort of bring people who are at home closer to this world and give them a sense of things that they're hopefully not seeing on TV, that they give things depth and shape and perspective and context and background, whatever else it might need that you wouldn't get to give things dimension. And... It was a lot harder to do that. It wasn't, I mean, I do feel like I wrote some, a couple okay pieces this year, but nothing that I was, and also like the times traditionally, you could write like stuff, like I wrote an article about, you know, like an extreme example of this, I wrote an article about like the flowers at Wimbledon last year, right? Right. Um, infamously asking the big three about that. And the, the shirt that Avaki made was spectacular for that, by the way. <laughs> Ricky still wears frequently, I think, which is good. Um, it, it did it. not fit me. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it Ricky he well. He tends to think his friends are thinner than they are. I'm just saying. It's a side conversation, tends, but there's a lot. He tends to, he a tends to, to undersize. <laughs> he tends to undersize. Anyway, yeah, that, that sort of giving that depth and perspective. And, I, and, you know, I'm proud of a lot of the work we did, especially on NCR, honestly. Like mm-hmm. NCR is a lot of the better work I did this year. You were you were doing the work, bro. We, this is our, this is this is if this is part two. Of, I think it's a two part episode. Um, this is the ninety first NCR episode of the year. Ninety one episodes yeah. so far this year, and we're not done. We have at least one more to do this year. Yeah, it's uh that's a that's a lot. And so and did twenty two during the month of September during these two slams, or and then some into October as well. I think fifteen in October maybe. And a lot of really good evergreen, not evergreen content, but unique content. Like talk a lot of great interviews. But it was good. To I'd keep... say because like yeah. if I'm not on the podcast, I just am a listener to the podcast, and I don't really drive Ben's programming decisions yeah. but you know he'll be like oh i'm gonna get this person on i'm like oh that's pretty good like awesome you know yeah. like it's you know so no but i mean, always to say like i do it's been a, it's been a challenge in that way the ncr part of it's been very fulfilling again the patreon support of this has been massive as well to get i still have french yeah. open things to get through but I'll, I'll get to you know the the overall like it's been a different sort of experience so thank you for bearing with us and 
appreciating the and i think people have been under obviously twitter on mass is not understanding populist but our ncr listeners have, and people who i know who i sort of whose opinions i value more have been have been good in this whole time so so thank you for all of that um the french open um well rome happened i remember benoit Pair having Simona about, finally having, got rome which was not a small thing no Simona got that was because big for she's her. been Benoit Pair had a big meltdown against Yannick Sinner. He was calling. He was calling for the the trainer and have and throwing like water bottles and stuff. But the trainer was almost like he's like, I need the doctor. And he's like, Well, I'm injured. I'm injured. I'm injured now. I'm injured. I'm injured. I'm injured now. That's my uh, Benoit Pair impression. I mean, 2020 is just remember when Benoit Pair. Honestly, he's another like sort of like montage player of the year, Benoit Pair. Yeah. But then I remember in the French Open right away, unlike the U.S. Open. Which really, like, if you squinted, it looked the same as the U.S. Open. The French Open was a completely foreign thing to me. Like, it, like, it didn't look like the French Open with all the players wearing the long pants and the sweats and just looking like it was it winter. Was cold. <laughs> they were playing all these night matches, which never previously was a thing at the French Open. They there were lights. The the Chatrier, um had changed had the roof for the first time this year. Um, and it changed dramatically a year earlier. So I still wasn't used to like, the contours of new shot trade. It just felt like a, a new tournament. It did not feel like the tradition continues modified. It felt like a brand new event in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. L- made it feel like less anchored and a little more like, I'm not sure exactly what I'm watching here. Starting The time difference was also tough. Even if the late matches meant it went later than it usually did, which is not bad from American perspective. And some other notes I have here. Tennis channel, not social distancing at all on set. That was disturbing to me. Remember Matt? Hey, Courtney. Remember when Matt Svalander said that Andy Murray shouldn't have gotten a French Open wild card? Oh gosh! When he after he lost to Vrinka first round. The most important thing about that is I'm pretty sure Andy Murray remembers when uh, Matt Svalander said it. So that's all that anybody needs to know. But the weird thing is that like yeah, like he kind of didn't he get like kind of get yanked. Off so Euro we don't sport? watch Euro sports. I don't know. I remember he was definitely there were definitely not a lot of follow up quotes. I feel like he kind of yeah. He couple. One other thing he said that Vika. He's critical Remember, of Vika, right? He had a whole he he went after Vika about something. What was it? Because Vika lost about like effort or something. Effort. It was something more along the lines of like like attitude. It was some, It was something also very off that was just like is he, he was okay? It was, it was weird. A, it was he had a weird. It was day. weird. Like I think people's reactions were like, "Is Matt's okay?" Like because these are there are takes, and then there's what he's saying, which simply yeah, like don't make these are mad libs like these are not actual coherent thoughts they're sort of like uh, that apply t- tennis to spot 3000 tweets like they were just yeah, sort of yeah like, exactly yeah. side note on wild cards it appears once again the australian open will not have reciprocal wild cards for france and the u.s in 2021 i am hopeful this program is gone i really hope that yeah. would be that'd be a positive pandemic outcome if the reciprocal wild cards are done because like it's just better deal for everybody involved when you can have more for your home people. Honestly, even just from a, not even from like a fairness perspective, but like the U.S., I think we better serve by having more for Americans and not giving them up to these True. French and Australian players who add nothing in terms of pull to the tournament. So, and the one French one we get at those tournaments, sorry, the one U.S. one we get those tournaments, Australia you don't need it. You have enough players who can do well, and French like they're not going to do well anyway. So who cares? Like it's just not a good deal for anybody involved. Uh, hey Courtney, remember when? Kiki Burton's left the court in a wheelchair at the French Open, and Sarah Arani <laughs> had parting thoughts. It's not. I mean, there's a combination of things there. It's. It's. Is it? Is the thing to remember that Sarah Arani had parting parting thoughts, very strong ones, and she vocalized them. She had a platform. She used it. 
Or is it that, well, I guess it came after, so it wasn't the thing that triggered her, but that she saw Kiki eating lunch afterwards. And like that really bothered her as like, as if Kiki was supposed to have been in the infirmary. Yeah. After all that, it's like Kiki full body cramped. She never called for a trainer like during the match because she knew she was cramping or like you served for it a bunch of times. I mean, I don't, I don't. Irani, <laughs> yeah. quote but unquote, anyways, served for it. Yeah. It was, but it, it was a fun, it was a fun, it was a fun afternoon. It was a fun, nonsense WTA match and for classic yeah, it was fun. Women's, I might, women's I tennis shenaniganery. It. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and Kiki had a great, Kiki had a great line too. Because, I mean, Sarah had some great lines with her parting thoughts, which are a word that I can no- pronounce and also probably can't say on the podcast. And then, yeah, in her press conference, she kept going. Uh, and then Kiki, it was like, oh, what was it? Like, Sarah thought that you were acting. Yeah. And she said, like, oh, I should probably get a new job then because I'm that good of an actress or yeah. something like that. And she's just like, good oh. stuff. Kiki Burton. I love it when, ve- Kiki I love when veterans get into it. Kiki Burton. Kiki Burton's had shade this year. Remember in Brisbane? Yeah, we remember Brisbane. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Um, again, that's one of our other side profiles. It should be a fascinating profile. Not Burton's, but the other the subject of that quote. It'd be a fascinating 2020 mini episode for like the sort of side series. She covered some bases. Um, <laughs> let's put it that way. Some of the other fun things from French Open. Some names going to throw out at you. Okay. Nadia Podoroska. Martina Bless. Martina Trevisan in the quarters. Adore. Adore. Uh, Barbara Krejcikova finally breaking top 100 by making fourth round. So happy for Another her. Another NCR episode that I really loved was, was the Krejcikova yeah. came on that day that yeah. she broke top 100. So that was really nice. Diego made a semifinal. J'adore. Uh, Hugo Gaston, another short little guy. How about, how about quarters, by the way, I will, I will say this. The men's tournament in Rome, super good. Rome. It had good matches. Yeah. Um, Schwartzman Chapo. Yeah, that was a semi. That was a good right? semi. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then obviously, Schwartzman beat Nadal in Nadal. Rome. Yeah. 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 Those were good. Those were good. Those were good matches. Who won Rome? Um, Djokovic. Djokovic beat oh. Schwartzman in the final. You can see Courtney's like disappointment. But Courtney. Uh, no, not sorry. disappointment. I just was like, oh, I thought it was something more interesting than Novak won Rome. But won every Masters he entered this year. He went two for two. He won Cincinnati and he won Rome. Love that for him. And he did not enter Paris Bercy and no others were held. <laughs> so he won two of the three. Again, so many things. Like, if I could forward this episode to us a year ago, like we'd be like, "What is happening in any of this? In any of this year?" If you didn't, if I ever didn't explain, you know, the stuff. Boy, I tell you. Um, and then it's my last happen. remember when thing. Oh, what, two things. One last French Open thing. Remember them suspending double fault. Who double fault twenty eight? Who, by the way, has still not come back to Twitter. He's not. He's no. not. He's not picked it up. He is like that guy is a. He sticks to his principles. He's like, yes. he's like, I want an apology and retraction from FOT until I get it. No more gifts. And he stood by it. So yep, he has. So I, has, I, admire, I respect him yeah, for it. Yeah. I hate him for it, but I, I respect yeah. you for it. And let's have him on NCR too. That was, that was another episode I really liked. Yep. It was having. Yeah. That was a really the good gift one. one. And yeah. then this is post French open wrap up. Remember the, when suddenly like the new man of international mystery and intrigue was San Quarry after he left St. Petersburg. Oh. That did happen. That was a thing. Still that was, that unresolved, by the way, but ATP still has not announced an end to its investigation or any sanction or anything. The amount of time it takes them to come up with penalties for things to happen at a distinct time is wild to me. Like, there's no... Maybe with this one, you need an investigation, but not even this much. Like, when they when they took 
what was it like it was like almost two months when Kyrgios had his meltdown in Cincinnati mm. to issue a suspension and obviously we're just waiting until after the labor cup for that one because he was a star attraction at labor cup but like Ooh. they're like we're doing an investigation into what happened in one match that was televised like what are you investigating it's all right there for you what are you what, yeah what I are mean, you I, doing i can imagine the query situation is obviously complicated That's much more complicated. because you are because you are dealing because as a tour you are a service organization that is rep that represents 50 percent tournaments 50 percent the players on paper that's that's what you do and so when the stickiest situation i think for any tour is when a situation puts pits a player against a tournament and vice versa mm -hmm. and i suspect that's what's happening here right because because Based off of what you had said, like there was some sort of Sam didn't feel like there was some sort of protection or something. Yeah, Sam and felt then, like they changed the rules on him basically. Yeah. That he so, they, he was supposed to be able to quarantine, not to get, well, I'm getting the details you want, but like he was supposed to be able to quarantine at the Four Seasons, which was the tournament hotel. Mm -hmm. And then basically, I guess, I'm guessing the Four Seasons wanted him to move, didn't want to become a quarantine hotel. I don't know if they'd ever agreed to that or not. And they were going to put him up in an, some sort of luxury apartments, quote unquote, nearby. And but also potentially have the doctors come by. And if they if the doctor thought they had symptoms or whatever, would put them would could force them to hospitalize. Which is the thing that Query right. says he really balked at. Which, again, I, I'm not, I'm not going to render a verdict on this one either way. But there's like a certain like, you know, I understand where someone, especially an American in Russia, would balk at that. Does he should he have traveled there with his wife and infant? Probably not. Almost certainly not. But anyway, that's that. So this one, I understand a little bit, like why there's debate, but like investigation, just like, you know, tennis needs more rules. Victoria Chiesa should go over there, write lots of rules, get paid by the rule and become a trillionaire queen. Everybody loves a rule. Yeah. So just just going through, we hit most of the stuff on my remember when okay. uh, list, but a few that I'm just going to throw out there to you. Uh, hey, Ben. Hey, Courtney. Remember when, when, when Kim Kleisters came back? Yes, that's a guess I can remember when. Her first match back against Muguruza. That's correct. In Doha or Dubai? I can't remember. Dubai? Dubai. Really nifty. Like yeah, she looked good. The ball striking was so good. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, and I think that sometimes when I watch old footage too, like the ball striking, I think was better 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I'm not sure exactly. Of the top, top players. I don't know exactly sure what it is different, but like, gosh, Kim Kleister's like hitting the ball. And I'm not, she was not someone who was like known for her ball striking per se back then. She was like the defensive player, right? Yeah, but she and still so, hits and so that than she can, everyone. Yeah, so that was really impressive. And it was um, sad she didn't get better results. I think she played some pretty decent ball. I think she won a set off of Alexandrova at the US Open, I believe, first mm -hmm. round. Tough draw, or not an easy draw. Not the worst draw, but not an easy draw playing Alexandrova first round. Hey, but also remember. Svetlana Parankova. That's the other one that was on yeah. my list. Remember yeah. Sveti? What a what a what a champ! I feel like we what called that. We fully called that. We called yeah. that. We were both like we were like like her first win, and we both like we were the only two reporters yeah. that were in there. And I remember like hitting the Zoom button to join, and then being admitted. I was like, oh hey Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that was an NCR that you joined midway through. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so she and she she knows her legend. She knows that like it was fast courts, and she would be a thing. And she won a set over Serena right in that quarter. She did. So, she did. like, yep. super, super impressive by her. Hope she sticks around and stays healthy and plays for uh, as long more as she wants to. Yeah. Um, and she's just lovely. Yeah, she's, she's just, just a lovely soul. Around, so, hey, Ben. Yeah, Courtney. Remember when this was supposed to be a year celebration of the original nine? Oh. That bummed me out. There was so much, there was so, like, 
there was going to be like a yeah. reunion slash gala, like a reunion in well, Charleston and then maybe a gala in, in, in New York. And then a bunch of them were supposed to also be in Indian Wells. And there was just a lot going on and it should have been their moment, you know, because the original nine has never really gotten a collective, like as much love as they were primed to get this year. Two things on that. I was, so I was bummed. Yes. Hey, fine. Courtney. Well, three things okay three things hey courtney remember when we did have christy pigeon on ncr we did have original liner people didn't hear that Absolute episode star. i really like that episode um check it out i told you right yeah she's she awesome. was fun she was a lot of fun she's so cool and you helped me prep yeah. for that too because you'd already talked to her so that was that was key yeah. for getting that episode to be as coherent as i think it hopefully was hey courtney remember that they did add the original nine to the hall of fame ballots this year finally so they yes. probably will be getting inducted next summer one yes. has to assume. That's the thing is like, so we like, I believe that there will be a continued celebration in Australia because of, I think Judy Dalton might be getting something. Okay. Uh, that's, you know, so that will be a hook to get some more stuff up. And then obviously, yeah, hopefully, you know, they get inducted Judy in, in the, con- the newly established contributor category. Or as a group, as a first ever group, because it was previously, had contributor previously, but it was only for individuals. Yeah, but it's been, yeah, exactly. As a newly group, yeah. tweaked, right. And then, right. hey, Courtney, because you said something about Charleston. Remember when Charleston, before any of this all started, made news by announcing that it would allow Fox 10 at its event? Yes. And we were going to have video review on Clay, and that never took place. Oh, my God. Hey, Ben, remember when everybody was flipping, freaking out about Hawkeye on Clay during Roland Garros? And then, and I give Victoria Kesa a hell of a lot of credit on this, and then a couple days later, there was literally a 10-minute segment on Tennis Channel on the panel with Steve Weissman, John Wertheim, and Shonda Rubin, who were fantastic throughout the fortnight. So good, those um, three. That was such a killer panel. Those three panel. were so good. Such a good panel. But they spent literally 10 minutes just talking about why Hawkeye does not exist on Clay in the moment, what the risks are of Hawkeye being on Clay, that there are other electronic review companies such as Fox 10, which you, which you just mentioned, yeah. which was originally announced – Back in January, February, something that the WTA had approved for an electronic line calling system to be used on Clay, which was going to be Fox 10. So and for those who don't know, Fox 10, while Hawkeye is uses an algorithm to calculate a ball's trajectory and where it lands, it projects it. Yeah, it projects it. Fox 10 which is a, a different technology, is actually high-speed cameras set up on the lines to actually photograph, like, shot by shot, uh, millisecond by millisecond, the ball landing. So you're actually seeing the actual mark um, or actual, you know, bounce. Anyways, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Just Hawkeye, just the, all the Hawkeye bullshit during Clay. I cannot deal with it. I cannot deal with it. To shout us out again, we did a good podcast on that midway through the French Open where we were like calling a lot of that stuff out because there was a lot of disingenuousness about Hawkeye being a big partner of Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel, you know, giving them graphics and all the stuff they pay them for and it's a, their big partnership. And then them also being like, Hawkeye is great. We should be everywhere. Get more money. It was, it was all problematic. And I think that we did a wonderful job at addressing well, and, that and, back. And uh, again, on the so show. did John and Steve yeah, and Chandler. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I don't think that Hawkeye is sitting there being like, you guys have to, uh, you know, talk only good about us. But I think that that is the the knee jerk reaction when this company is helping you. But um, well, it's, it's the yeah. it's the default. We talked we talked about it before. Like, so many people in the in tennis see themselves working for tennis and selling tennis and partners and sponsors therein. 
are not journalists, whatever that means, you know. And so, like, you know, your your average tennis channel color commentator or even play by play person. Uh, there are obviously exceptions to that. Um, hey, Courtney, remember when Chanda Rubin solidified her spot as being like one of the best broadcasters in tennis? What like, a year for Chanda Rubin. She's been great. I feel like 2020 was Chanda Rubin's year, which sucks because we didn't get to see her as much as we would have liked to have seen her because of the abbreviated tennis season. But any time that she was on Tennis Channel, she delivered. Her commentary was smart. It was nuanced. It was deep. It was it was great. Uh, yeah. Just and I just I look forward to seeing Chanda like be used more and um and often and for people to appreciate and respect Chanda because she works super hard. She's super prepared. Um, and she's just a level-headed human, and I appreciate it. Along the same lines as Lindsay, like you know, like how Lindsay just kind of yeah. brings this like very matter-of-fact, like very clean analysis. Like Lindsay's an amazing analyst to me on Tennis Channel. Same with Chanda. Same Lindsay, levels. like, it's different because like Lindsay did it almost immediately after her playing career stopped, mm. whereas Chanda was not on air. Was kind of uh, left behind a bit in terms of. Or I'm not exactly sure what her journey was, but wasn't immediately given that transition. And so for her to have like come in and not missed a beat and to like caught up and then some in terms of being as sharp as she is and engaged as she is, as professional as she is, as diligent as she is, you know, like all those things. Um, definitely want to get her on NCR soon, by the way. We like should. That's actually NCR. a really good point. We should get Chanda Chanda on. should get on NCR. Yeah. We love Chanda. We, we, we stand Chanda in this house. Mm-hmm. For sure. Standa. Yeah. <laughs> Standa Chanda. Standa Chanda. Yeah, I mean, was there things to remember? I mean, I will be honest, after Linz was done, I did not pay attention. I don't know what happened in Bercy. I don't know if what was... I mean, Med- Medvedev won uh, the final, right? The the <laughs> London thing. You've been listening to Body Sir Clear with that pronunciation. I do, because like they have they have drilled it in me that it, that's the, pro- the correct way to pronounce it. So it's... I'm going to do it as much as I can remember to do it. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, obviously, I would just get into more Zverev stuff, which I've talked about plenty on here. That was a defining story of the last month of the tour for me. Um, still still working on my opus of a second half piece sort of with the rest of Olya's story, which I'm sorry to her. I've not been able to get out faster. I know she did want it to be done earlier. Um, and then just reaction to it and systemic stuff and experts and whatever else is in the story. Um, and I'm hoping we'll be out this week or next or something soon because it's been uh, taking longer than I wanted it to. But yeah, but in the meantime, Courtney, thank you for being on here and remembering all this stuff. I tried my do... best. I'm sorry. I mean, there are many things I didn't want to remember, but we did it. We came through. We, I mean, it's it's our it's 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 our 2020 in a nutshell. You know, a lot of a lot of right. rocky times, but it's December 13. We're still ticking. We're healthy. Our families are good. They're they're all right. You know, we, our dogs are are happy and barky. Uh, you know, what what more is there to ask for? So on that note, thank you very much for listening to No Challenges Remaining. As always, we're going to do Rant Raves. Don't hang up yet. We're going to do Rant Raves in a second. But uh, thank you for listening to No Challenges Remaining, especially our um, Patreon backers, who, as I mentioned during the show, have been super helpful in powering us through this rough, uncertain, weird year. One new backer to thank since the last episode. All right. Oh, thank you to Joy Katz for increasing her pledge on the show. So thank you to Joy for doing that. Really appreciate it. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers. I think every episode, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber. And our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, Anna Valinder, and J.O.D. We should, uh, we, we should get Pammy on. 
Yeah, she's been on recently, but we can get she her again. We get, we get her, time, but... we get her again. Yeah. She's just, I mean, Pammy's just a good chat. It was funny. I'm sure people noticed, like, Pam Shire recently became a background. Obviously, I know she's listened to the show more than the others. And then, like, I mentioned it just as a normal background name to see if anyone noticed, but, like, Martina Navratilova showed up as one of our backers recently. <laughs> and, yeah, Mary Carrillo was saying that she, like, sent the episode to Billie Jean King or whatever, or the, the our politics reaction episode. Oh. But you were like, that was like a little mortifying. Like, That's very, mo- yeah. I was like, she said that. I was like, why, why, why did you do that? Why did you? Do that? I, I am best on That's this on podcast Patreon, our, our if I'm if I'm siloed, if I just pretend that I'm only speaking to Ben and not thinking about anybody who yeah. could potentially be hearing this for better or worse. But yeah. All right. So Courtney, what kind of rant rave stuff do you have? Do we have any more ha- happiest thoughts hanging chads to get through? Or we do we cover oh. that? Uh, I think I think we I think we we handled happiest season. I think that we got there. Happy, I, I, what did I say? I called it. You said happiest else. thoughts. Um, oh, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. It, it's a perfectly fine movie. You know, I mean, like, I feel very much about happiest season. Well, the way that I see Steph talking about happiest season and her reaction to like the backlash to the movie is very similar to what I felt about Crazy Rich Asians. That's what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like Crazy Rich Asians is not Citizen Kane. It should not be expected to be Citizen Kane. It's okay if it's just a standard rom-com that makes you feel good. Like, that's fine. And same with, like, Happiest Season. It doesn't have to be perfect. The only reason people think that it has to be perfect is because there's not enough, you know, gay, lesbian uh, holiday movies. The only reason people think that Crazy Rich Asians should be perfect is because there's not enough, you know, full Asian casts. Like, simple as. I think I was saying the bar way below perfect. No, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not addressing you. I know, but I'm, I'm just addressing... saying I think that like I, I think that and I was listening I listened to only the very beginning of it, of the slate spoiler special about Happiest Season. I don't know yep. if you heard this. I haven't I haven't uh, listened to it yet though. No. With June Thomas and I think Christina Cotarucci. Mm-hmm. That is her name. Both of whom are, I believe, identified as lesbians. And they were and Christina Cotarucci was started off saying Hopefully, I'm getting this right. That because I like listened to like thirty seconds of this before I did, started doing something else. Um, she was like, at first, I was like feeling guilty that I was like grading this movie on such a curve because I'm a lesbian. I like lesbian things. But then I was like, screw that. I like lesbian things. And like, it's important to me this movie exists. And like, I'm gonna have a soft spot for it. I'm not gonna be, yeah, you know, as harsh on it or as exacting on it yes. as I would be for other stuff because I just love that it exists and it has symbolic meaning to me. Whatever. And I'm I'm fully embracing all of that. I just think the Alison Brie character was insane in that movie. <laughs> fully, and that had nothing to do with the lesbianism, right? That Correct. was not like no. that was something that did not have to do with that. That was like a weird, barely choice. bizarrely pitched, a weird director and dynamic acting yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. No, hundred percent. That my thoughts there. That's all. That's um, okay. I'm trying to think of right. anything else that I've been rant raving. I watched Outrageous Fortune, which is an '80s movie. Mm-hmm starring Bette Midler and Shelley Long. Oh, that sounds like right up your alley. I'm not recommending it as a movie on any (laughs) level, but it did remind me how great both of them are. And also, like, where I feel like we are overdue as a culture for a Shelley Long Assance. Oh, my God. Like, the Long Assance. The True Beverly Hills reboot has to happen. Why is she not? I feel like she, I feel like this, I feel like the generation who is currently, like, tastemakers, you want to call, like, people at that, like, it's a generation that's, like, loves Shelley Long. Yeah, yeah. And so why is she not getting – unless she doesn't want one. Maybe she, but I don't know. I haven't looked at her IMDb recently. I don't know if she's active or not active or what. But I feel like there's big space in the culture for more Shelley Long. A hundred percent. Because Shelley Long, the, first of all, have you ever yeah. seen Hello Again? No. 
Oh, great 80s movie. Shelley Long, starring Shelley Long, where like, I think she dies and then comes back. So hello again. Um, okay. But uh, great. Just great Shelley Long. Obviously, True Beverly Hills, peak Shelley Long. Um, iconic film. Yeah, Shelley Long. I mean, obviously, Cheers. But um, and obviously the better uh, love interest of Ted Danson from Cheers uh, as time has gone on and we all recognize. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, no, love love Shelley Long. Love her to bits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, for me, from the watching standpoint, oh, two films actually that have I've continued to think about two and then a thing. But um the first is I'm thinking of ending things. And you talked about that on the show before, actually. Oh, did I? Okay. So yeah. I'll leave that alone. But I still it clearly it's still living in my head. Yeah. So um I really recommend it. I think it's I just, on Netflix? Yeah, I would I would just love to like talk to people more about it because I just think it was really really weird and interesting and a lot of people are now uh, you know now that we're at the end of the year and film critics are putting out their best of lists. There's a lot of kind of like debate about this movie because it didn't work for a lot of really prominent critics who were just like that movie was terrible and did not work for me. Um, whereas there's a lot of people who are just like that was amazing. So it, you know I'm always really curious about films that kind of um, trigger that reaction one way or the other. So that's one. The other is Mank. I loved Mank. I've seen Mank three times now, uh, wow. which is less than I would like to have seen it. Um, I Like every night I'm like, maybe I'll just put Mank on, but I just want to like actually watch it as opposed to watch it passively. I just, it's as time has gone on, it has become a glaringly obvious to me how much I love David Fincher and I love everything that he's about. I love, well, Okay, that's maybe a well. No, it's not a problematic statement because I defend him, but um, yeah, just is he I a problematic love, fave? No, no, he's not a problematic fave. He's never done anything, but like yeah. people, people think he's a brat. People think that he is cocky. That he's not very. He's kind of prickly, but he's never like done anything that's like cancelable. Right. Like you know, not Woody Allen. Yeah, but he's like, but he is all. He's very exacting, and but for certain reasons, and I feel like there's a lot of like a myth that's been built around him, of being this perfectionist like asshole, that is really unfair. Like you know, famously, so David Fincher um, directed Zodiac, directed Seven, Fight Club, uh, Curious uh, Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, Gone Girl. Um, he did um, the House of Cards series. He did Mind Hunter, which is an amazing series that I hope everybody watches at some point, both on Netflix. Um, and then this is his most recent movie, Mank, which is about uh, Herman Mankovich, who um, was the co-writer of Citizen Kane. Now, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, you don't have to to watch this movie. If you have and you understand old Hollywood and you understand, you know, Hollywood history, you will like find all these easter eggs that make it really pleasurable like oh that's this person or oh that's that person or you know oh he's referring to this or referring to that but you don't actually have to know any of that to actually just watch the movie and enjoy it amazing performance from gary oldman who is not a person that i really ever like i'm not a person that thinks gary oldman's like amazing all the time but yeah he's great in this amanda seafried is i want to say a revelation but that's not true because i've always believed that amanda seafried is amazing yeah. but she is absolutely flawless in this film she plays marion davies who um was the wife or wife of um william randolph hearst who was the basis for citizen kane the uh, charles foster kane who is citizen kane right 
anyways, so, but she plays Marion Davies. And a lot of times you see like modern day actresses play old black and white actresses. And there's this affectation that they force. You know, you watch His Girl Friday, you watch those old, and you talk, and it just feels like they think that they're in theater. Yeah. You know, like they they draw, they try to they start talking about Catherine Hepburn. Hey, listen here, say, like exactly. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and she does none of that. And she just is, she just melts into the character and into the time period in a way that's truly stunning. Like it's, it just takes my breath away. Here's why Amanda Seyfried deserves her Oscar. I'm sure Mank is lovely, but Mama she Mia. made nearly everybody cry at the end of Mamma Mia too. Here we go again. All right. Like that is a feat. Like the entire theaters around the world. I remember you heard from Aki when she was saying that she was watching Mamma Mia 2 on the plane, like crying. She's like, what is happening? <laughs> but that is the power of that movie and Amanda yeah. Seyfried in that movie. So I I stuff. still remember the first time that I learned that Mamma Mia 2, here we go again, existed. I f- it was from you. And I don't remember if we were in a theater and we saw a trailer or something, but somebody just mentioned like, oh yeah, there's a second Mamma Mia coming out. And I was like, there's a sequel coming out? And Ben was like, oh yeah, Mamma Mia 2. And he leans in and goes, here we go again. <laughs> and I just like burst out laughing. <laughs> so it always holds a special place in my heart, despite the fact that I've I've seen neither. So yeah, so Mink, I just, yeah. I really loved it. It's, it's lovely. I don't understand the weird, like, I don't know, the, the weird discourse around it. I don't get it. It's pissing me off in a massive way. Yeah, so Mank. And then the other thing that I'm really excited about and that I really enjoyed was the Lincoln Center in New York basically has like virtual cinemas. So you can, you know, buy a ticket to these like movies or re- new releases that, and sometimes it's an actual time, showtime. Like you have to watch it like it's at seven huh. o'clock on Friday. And other times it's like you get a license for 24 hours from when you, you know, it's like a rental. So they, for this month, have been airing Wong Kar Wai's remastered um, films, um, which, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I love Wong Kar Wai. He directed one of my favorite movies, which is In the Mood for Love. He is an incredibly influential director. Every great director will tell you how influential In In the Mood for Love is to their work. Like Quentin Tarantino basically brought him into the West because Quentin watched his early films, um, um, Days of Being Wild and um, Chunking Express and was like, this guy fucking rules and like brought him over. Anyway, so he has like seven films. They've been remastered and Lincoln Center, like I paid basically a hundred bucks, I guess, or something like that to be able to watch all seven remastered ones. It's been great. I've enjoyed it immensely to just be like a wash real and they in Wong Kar Wai, which has been lovely. But um, now, in next March, a Criterion Collection will be releasing all of those remasters as a Blu-ray. Um, so if you can find a good deal, I highly recommend it. But if neither of those things are possible for you um, and you want to get a sense of Wong Kar Wai, first of all, please watch In the Mood for Love. Just please watch it. I think all this stuff is streaming on Criterion as of now. Yes. In the Mood for which Love. Which is a 14-day free trial. Uh, is on Criterion and it's also on HBO Max. HBO Max um, has some good stuff. Yes, HBO Max is amazing. I think HBO Max is so worth. Um, I think it's the best of the streaming to. services in terms of content. That might be true. That might be true. Yeah. Yeah. No. In, in terms of quality and just it like have, and it's not on Roku, which kills me. I know it. It's well, it's killing them too because people yeah. can remain really pissed about it, especially as Wonder Woman is about to come out, and people are like, "Are you serious? You're not." I mean, the whole Warner Roku. Brothers thing. Yeah. 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 Um. But uh, but yeah, please watch In the Mood for Love which is a film I watch like almost monthly and I love it. Maggie Chung, Tony Leung, 
Um, it is beautiful. It is lush. The music is amazing. The colors are amazing. The costuming is amazing. The story is heart wrenching. It's wonderful. Um, and the mythology of that film is also insane. When you real when you when you learn how that film was made and the process, it's nuts. Um, but also, in addition to In the Mood for Love, which is a film that I love and I haven't been able to watch. Well, not haven't been able to, but I just didn't think to watch for a long time, probably about a year or two, was uh, Chunking Express, which is the film that he did right in before In the Mood for Love. Just so good. So good. And it is also on HBO Max. I started watching that recently on Criterion because it's on HBO Max, too. I was going to thank you because I was I'm doing a bunch of like trivia Zoom League stuff recently. Um, and I'm in a bunch, a couple team leagues with some friends and some people, including friends who I had not met before any of this started, yep. um, who now I see more than my own family who I'm in the same house with. <laughs> and um, one of the questions I got in one of the individual things was um, something, it was like, there was like a series of Bollywood questions, which were really tough. But um, one of them was like, this word appears in this title of this Bollywood movie, da, 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 da. but in this one, da, 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 da. It also appears in, you know, another movie title is following the word Chung King. And I was like, Thanks, Courtney. I, know that <laughs> I appreciate that the two contributions that I've given you when it comes to high stakes trivia are alcohol answers, yeah. which and was in Jeopardy and Wong Kar Wai. You yeah. know what? That's me in a nutshell. Alcohol and Wong Kar Wai movies. I'll take it. That's yeah. pretty good. No, One other but... shout out I was going to give on my rant raves um, for stuff. And this episode's obviously beyond ridiculously long <laughs> already is uh, Palm Springs, which is on Hulu. I have yet to watch it and I, I need to. It's just like that's a movie I would want to rewatch for sure too. It's it's really really good. I'm a big, I'm a big low key Andy Samberg fan. Like I don't think of him as like being one of my favorite people, but I also like have seen pretty much everything. He's, he's flawless. Seen. Yeah. Have you seen ba- the the Bash Brothers weird movie that he has? No, but okay. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> Pull it up because it is basically Lemonade. It's his version. <laughs> so he plays like it's like about like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. Who were the Bash Brothers on the Oakland A's? He's Canseco. He's Canseco, yeah. And the other guy's Mark, uh, Mark McGuire. Who's and McGuire? Um, I can't remember his name. It, it's somebody new. It's not like the lo- the actual one of the not three a lonely lone- island guy. Yeah, it wasn't one of the Lonely Island guys. And it's this conceptual thirty minute music video featuring like or forty five minutes featuring different set pieces and like slow it's super weird and maya rudolph and heim are in it at one point sure. and they do a dance off like it's very weird i i found it thoroughly enjoyable and super confusing and not and the thing is with sandberg the music is good yeah the music is good the music is good 100 percent. so 100 percent. Anyway. um i have one more thing that i'll just punctuate i'm sorry that i talked about it a lot but um, you said that people get excited when i talk about things i care about and i'm passionate about so i'm just gonna mm-hmm. keep going my favorite numero uno cultural experience of the year the last of us part two the video game one game one game of the year at the gamer awards um and and won seven awards total uh won best performance for um one of the characters won best um uh director won best game won best audio um, and importantly, too, one best um, like this, their new accessibility award, like um, innovation in accessibility. So basically, in terms of all of the innovations that they've made in 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 for people who are colorblind or disabled or something, they have all these things that still will allow you to play the game, which a lot of games don't like. There's a right. new game that just dropped this week um, that's huge, um, Cyberpunk 2077. And I just saw like this. Talk about your discourses, Cyberpunk twenty seven. Oh my god, it's it's a whole situation. It, it's a discourse that's been going on for about two years. So at least the yeah. at least the game was finally dropped. 
but um but yeah the, this prominent disabled gamer was just kind of saying like he tweeted i think yesterday he was like yep nope can't play it like he's like i literally this game is just dropped and it is literally unplayable like i cannot review it um and that's like really disappointing so that was like really cool that last of us got um got uh, that and yeah just like vindication for a game that like was very much um if, for people who don't know like the game came out it got review bombed like on metacritic where people just wanted to hate it who had had yet to play it and they like if you go on metacritic now like it's like it has a 4.9 <laughs> on metacritic out of 10 uh, yeah um, because basically like fans and whoever just review bombed it and hated it because not because of the gameplay, mind you, but because a narr- because of a story point, because of a narrative decision in the, in the, in the game that they had heard about cause it got leaked, but they never played the game to like experience it, you know? Um, People so are reacting re- to things without knowing about things. On it's the weird. Internet? It's weird. It's weird. The director got death threats, got, um, his family got death threats. He like had like anti-Semitic like tweets directed his way. The woman who eventually won for best performance, Laura Bailey, who's amazing, who plays a quote unquote controversial character. It's not a controversial character, but clearly this character was controversial to these people who were review bombing it. She um, got death threats as well. Her family got death threats. Mm. Like she got doxxed. Um, all this sort of stuff because again, because of just a narrative decision. Anyways, so this game ended up winning. I was super happy for 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 that, and um, yeah, it felt good. It felt good to be right. <laughs> I can't top that. We're gonna exit there, <laughs> folks. Thanks for listening to this these episodes. Have a great rest of your twenty twenty. Stay safe. Congratulations on almost making it twenty twenty one. And we'll see you later. The vaccine is here. Don't do anything stupid. Stay indoors. Wear a mask. Just just don't roll the dice. Just hold on for one more day, said Wilson Phillips. Just there's your outro. I know. There you go. Too easy. Bye guys. Take it away, Carney. I know that there is pain, but you hold Hold on on for one one more day day and you break break free free from from the chains. Cause I know that there is pain. (laughs) Hold on for one more day and you break free right from the chains. Some days so far is gonna make you wanna turn and say goodbye. I see why Twitch loves you. (laughs) 